With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Create um, traits for coconuts. Now they call it agromic traits for coconut to make them supposedly resistant to insects like larvae from moths and butterflies. So right now in Vietnam, they have the genetically modified coconuts and uh, they're being um, distributed. And they're also changing the characteristic of the coconut to reduce more of the oils and fatty acids in it, which, you know, totally destroys the reason why you want a coconut. So GM coconuts uh, are now in American foods. According to research projects, they found it in a dessert, which says right on the label, the ingredients including coconut produced with genetic engineering. Uh, This is in the dessert called flan. And it's made uh, in it by a company in Bedford, Illinois. So, I mean, okay, so they genetically modified, modified the soy, then the almonds, and now the coconut, all going GM. You know, this is just uh, horrific. It really is. They just can't leave God's creation alone. Oh, and uh, magical engineer Frank asked if the organic alcohol had any uh, benefit over the other. You know, I think it's... Uh, probably better than um, (laughs) any other form of alcohol, but I think everything in moderation, Frank. (laughs) Okay, last but not least in the quack report, cucumbers. Cucumbers and more cucumbers. The cukes uh, have bioactive compounds to help fight cancer, heart disease, and more. So if you're having some wine or beer or a shot of whiskey, have a cucumber, apparently. Cucumbers are not a vegetable. They're a fruit. And a report by the Old Farmer's Almanac says in ancient times, cucumbers were used as medicines rather than a food. They treated almost everything. Cucumbers have come to the attention of modern um, laboratories uh, because of their bioactive phytochemicals in them. Uh, They have a lot of flavonoids. And uh, these compounds have anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, anti-diabetic, antibacterial, antifungal, anti-pain-killing, oh, wound-healing, and even um, laxative properties. Cucumbers. Grow some in your garden. Get some heirloom ones and grow them yourself, and they'll be the best you ever had. And that wraps the crack report. <laughs> All righty, thank you, Frank. Okay, we're gonna take a little uh, a little time here to spend on what's going on with supplements. There seems to be a war on supplements. It's heating up a little bit, and you may have noticed the increase in news reports that are you know putting supplements in a bad light. Yeah, it is really not just American news outlets that are on this supplement bashing campaign. The efforts to sabotage the supplement market have intensified. So the Canadian Broadcast News joined in with, um, well, less than accurate reports of supplements with the New York Times, P. 
PBS Frontline, and also Consumer Reports. So in a majority of these reports, these the media had to air or print corrections because they had bogus information. So the media is not an impartial fact-checker industry any longer. They are a for-hire industry. So the benefactors for destroying the reputation of the supplements are going to be your pharmaceutical industry. So Big Pharma is wealthy enough to purchase the media coverage you are now subjected to. So it seems that everything good is under attack. And it's really going to be up to us to stand up against these attacks. So, uh, you know, holding back the gates of hell, pretty much. So let's get a clear picture regarding this battle, see what's really going on. Um, Have you seen the infographic? Oh, if you haven't, you must sign up for the free online newsletters at thepowerherbs.com because uh, the newsletters go out each week, and you get these uh, great links and infographics. Stuff is in there this this week on uh, what's going on in the industry. So one of the uh, larger supplement manufacturers uh, is Now Foods. You've probably heard of them. And they have actually posted an infographic comparing the supplement industry's track record to the pharmaceutical industry. So it's like a side-by-side comparison. So when you're looking at this, you can actually see, because it's it's just in your face, it, it can't be denied. You can actually see that money does answer all things in this world. Because only in a world of corruption can it be possible for an industry that kills hundreds of thousands each year and is protected by government laws to prosper and become rich. So in the United States, 68% of Americans take at least one supplement compared to 48 to 70% of Americans taking at least one prescription. So this is why the pharmaceutical industry is scared. This is a this is a growing increase. There's a growing increase in the use of supplements, which could prevent future sales of prescription drugs. You now, the healthier you are, the less you need the drug dependency. So, in a nutshell, here's what the infographic was showing. Uh, according to their uh, section on economics, which was based on sales. Uh, pharmaceuticals market about $347 billion a year, and supplements, uh, their market's $32 billion, so significantly smaller. In the safety area, which was based on FDA adverse event reports from 2008 to 2011, supplements uh, 6,307 in a three-year span uh, had been reported for adverse events. That would be 2,100 per year are reported on supplements compared to pharmaceuticals, which were 1,736,437 adverse events reported. That's 579,000 adverse events, which are reported each year. And we all know not all of it gets reported. And then under the regulation area, which, you know, you kind of have to see the chart, uh, but, Uh, Basically, it's a comparison of the supplements versus pharmaceuticals. And in there, you can see all these little check marks down these columns uh, with concern to things like um, FDA, USDA, FTC, DEA, ATF, OSHA, CBP, which is U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and uh, DOH, which is your state, county, local departments. Uh, Supplements comply with every, every category. 
they, they do have compliance requirements, and they comply with each one. And so, um, yeah, there's requirements in government agencies for, and the supplement market is sufficiently complying. So the oversight for consumer protection is already there. But when you hear these reports, it's all about, you know, there's no protection, there's no oversight, there's no testing, there's no this, there's no that. Well, there is plenty of compliance. FDA knows that. All right, and so what did the analysis overall show? Well, in this crazy world we live in where the numbers tell the story, yet people, you know, still believe medical doctors and they want to take the drugs. So if patients were to see pharmaceuticals currently outsell supplements by five uh, by 10.5 times, and then the drug adverse events are greater than 27,000%, compared to supplements, adverse events, how many patients do you think are going to fill the prescriptions then? Hmm? Well, regardless of the excellent track record the supplement industry holds, the FDA is increasing the requirements for the industry. So it's, it, it is unreasonable to ask the supplement industry to operate like a big pharmaceutical giant costing hundreds of thousands of dollars. It puts businesses out of business and people out of work. So from 2012 to 2013, the FDA increased its inspections of supplement manufacturers by 33%. Yeah, 33%. So there's an impact in all this. You know, misinformation and lies have a negative impact on society. And we see this with every sector, whether it's economic, political, or health. So according to Health Impact News, with regards to adverse reporting on supplements, there have been no serious adverse reports causing death by supplements. None. Zero. Zip. Silch. No death certificates at all that blame the supplements for the death. Well, on the other hand, drugs, prescription drugs. Oh, my goodness, right? I mean, just it's like a deck of cards of death certificates. All right. So whereas with... Pharmaceuticals, the adverse events from pharmaceuticals causing death average 106,000 a year, the ones that are reported. And of those deaths, 500 are said to be from the over-the-counter Tylenol products, you know, the ACE, um, acetaminophen stuff. So 500, pe 500 people die every year from using Tylenol. Wow. So Health Impact News goes on to report that the integrative medicine industry is bent on eliminating supplements. What? I mean, that's quite a shocker, isn't it? Right? Because we, we, you know, we think integrative medicine is, you know, hey, they like supplements. They like natural therapies, right? Well, we've seen an increase in uh, medical journal articles as well as in the news media that supplements are either a waste of money and uh, do nothing for your health, or they're very harmful for your health. So it's very conflictive, conflicted reports. But consumers are under the impression that integrative medicine likes to use natural therapies. So why would they be bashing supplements? Well, anyone who's really been to the average integrative medical clinic knows that their primary concern is their medical license and keeping it, okay? Okay. 
So with that said, it means pushing more AMA-approved therapies than real natural therapies and bringing the supplement industry under the pharmaceutical umbrella. So pharmaceutical companies are producing more supplements than a decade ago. So the supplements that are being pushed at the integrative clinics are made by pharmaceutical companies. And they also know once that you really know, learn how to apply real natural therapies and high-quality supplements that you're not going to need to see them. So this is all about making sure you come back to see them. And this is the medical establishment's business model, the illusion of health. We'll reduce your symptoms just a little bit. Uh, so the increased attacks on the supplement market are attacks toward companies that are not pharmaceutical. So Deep Pockets have hired the press for these attacks. Mm -hmm. Well, and how are they convincing doctors and health professionals through journals that, you know, supplements are worthless? Well, they sabotage the dose is what they do. One of the ways the scientific community attempts to kill the reputation and effectiveness of nutritional supplements is to test ineffective doses. So if science can't qualify the substance through testing, then it's not able to recommend its use. Therefore, a lot of the junk scientific reports on nutrient sources, including vitamins and minerals and herbs, they're designed to fail. So the Alliance for Natural Health investigated a few such studies appearing in the Journal of the Internal Medicine mm -mm -mm, regarding multivitamins being a waste of money, and they reported the following, quote, the supplement doses were below the Institute of Medicine's tolerable upper level. Therefore, the doses were flawed with extremely low doses and researchers focused on single most sensitive adverse effect. However, the doses were too low to have any effect. The supplements used were also synthetic and manufactured by a pharmaceutical company. So, you know, they were crap. All right. That, I added that, by the way. That was me. Um, going on in the quote, they say, the study failed to address the effectiveness of supplements working in tandem with a healthy and active lifestyle. Then there's the problem, the report said, that the study's main sponsors, the strong and a strong possibility of conflicts of interest, were Fitzer and the chemical company BASF. And these companies have a vested interest in the future I'm sorry, in the failure of supplements, according to their quote from Alliance for Natural Health. Hmm. Oh, I'll say, I'll say, yeah, they hope, they hope the supplements fail. Well, they gear it to fail. I've heard this over and over again in my 25 years as an herbalist. They just, you know, they just totally sabotage it. So in, in this instance, the Alliance for Natural Health is stating that the research was conducted by a, also a panel of internal medicine physicians, general practitioner physicians, pediatricians, gynecologists, nurses, and other healthcare specialists. How much knowledge do these people have on nutrition? Either way, the drug companies hope to benefit in alienating consumers from supplements and then push them to rely on prescription medicines or take advantage and take over the supplement market with tougher, tougher regulations through the FDA that are too expensive for competitors to implement. It's a win-win, you know. Please don't ever take 
I would never take a supplement, personally, that's made by a pharmaceutical. They make them in the same facilities they make the drugs in. Think about that. All right, here's another quote uh, from the Alliance for Natural um, Health. They are saying this. Few industries have more access to relevant data on the benefits of vitamins, minerals, and numerous other nutrients than the scientific medicine community. This not only includes data published in the peer-reviewed literature, but just as importantly, decades worth of clinical experience from hundreds of doctors, both medical and naturopathic, practicing using the principles of functional medicine, end of quote. Yeah, they, they know the nutrition works. They don't push nutrition. They push drugs. Hmm? Uh-huh. Money answereth all things, right? So research on uh, supplement users uh, data shows that people who master the use of quality supplements are shown to live longer. People who use supplements also learn to be more sensitive to their lifestyles. So while there is an increase in the attacks for natural therapies and supplements, there's also an increase in consumers embracing the natural idea towards better health with a combination of taking you know, better responsibility for their health and using supplements. So consumers understand, they understand this, they understand that this is a prevention step to help them avoid having to use drugs in the future. And this is what's pissing off the pharmaceutical company. So therefore, consumer wars brewing, pharmaceuticals unwilling to give one inch of their territory have resorted to propaganda and deliberate lies about natural therapies, organic foods, and whole food supplements. So there's this big cycle. Hey, remember the ancient Egyptians? They invented glass, and then the knowledge was lost until it was reinvented. Well, the natural and old ways to protect our health are also being rediscovered. And with our food sources dwindling in nutritional content, we have to work harder at getting the nutrition the body must have. So if you didn't catch my previous report on how our crops, on average, are 50% lower in nutrients compared to 100 years ago, then I encourage you to visit the archives at thepowerherbs.com and look, at, look for the show from July 21st, 2016. And additionally, you don't have to be a junk food junkie to be malnourished these days. Consumers who are on prescription drugs and over-the-counter medicines on a regular basis are depleting their systems of vital minerals and vitamins as well. So they're, therefore, quality whole food, not synthetic supplements, may very well be the make-it-or-break-it resources for health moving forward. That's right. So Apothecary Herbs has been um, a whole food source of supplements for over 16 years. And it's more important than ever to cleanse and nourish the body to protect our health. So if you haven't called for your free Apothecary Herbs product catalog, now's the time. You give them a call toll-free at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. International is 704-885-0277. You can download a copy of the catalog from the PowerHerbs.com website, and you're going to discover the balanced nutrition of whole food supplement and how powerful that makes you against drug dependency. So check out their organ cleanses, their immune-boosting formulas, herbs for pets, and a whole lot more. 
Call now, 866-229-3663, thepowerherbs.com, because that's where your health care options just became endless. we got to take a break. More empowering info on the other side. into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. The ancient Greeks thought thyme herb provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for thyme tincture and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 007, your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Wendy Wilson, and we're all about empowerment, so that's what we're doing. We're going to empower you, so uh, check out thepowerherbs.com, and uh, hey, if you want whole food vitamins, uh, amino acids, minerals, um, protein, uh, check out their body food mix. It's a powder you put in a smoothie, or juice, vegetable, citrus, whatever you want, and uh, that's going to cover the gamut for you in just that one scoop. And if you'll notice on the website, thepowerherbs.com, there's some really great endorsements from people who've just discovered how empowering it is to discover whole food quality supplements. It's a big game changer. It really is. All right. I know, I yes, I've got to remind you here to uh, people want to know, when are you going to have the new catalog? The new catalog is in the works. Um, we're hoping this fall to release that. Uh, I can't make any promises the date of the release, but um, we are, have started a list of people who want one because so many times, you know, people move and don't let us know. And then, you know, we send out a catalog and it comes right back. So um, if you want to get on the new catalog list, you give them a call at thepowerherbs.com and uh, tell them you want the new catalog when it comes out. The number is 866-229-3663 or... Just send them an email off the website and tell them your, you know, pertinent info, and they'll, they'll add you to the list. All right, let's see. Uh, we're going to be talking about foods that affect brain chemistry. 
uh, you know, people pretty much, you know, select foods on how great it tastes rather than how good it is for them. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an unconscious food choice. Uh, we don't really think about, you know, how it's going to affect our brain chemistry. We just care about how great it tastes. We don't even think about how this food may affect our mood. We may, for a moment, think about how it's going to affect our digestion, but not so much the brain. So foods can act like antidepressants or even speed, okay? So when you think about it, we self-medicate ourselves all the time, every day, with food choices. So long-term use of some foods can actually deplete the system of nutrition and can create, you know, a foothold for disease. So we're going to look at this. Uh, substances that can manipulate food even, some combinations of food can make all the difference when, you know, you're considering your nutrition. The obvious add-ons that you are probably thinking about are food additives, dyes, preservatives. However, we are also used to a lot of sugar and caffeine, and we rarely stop to consider how those substances modify the other foods we're eating and how it affects our brain. So certain food substances affect the neurotransmitters of the brain and change how the brain cells communicate. So people use caffeine for more than just, you know, to stay awake. Without caffeine, half of America would be constipated. You know, people use the coffee to move their bowels in the morning. Many people depend on that morning cup of coffee. And there really have been many studies on sugar and caffeine, although the caffeine is known to suddenly lift your mood, one study suggests caffeine actually affects certain neurotransmitters like serotonin, and it's linked to depression, violence, and even moodiness. Oh, I can attest to that. You know, people, you know, get hooked on caffeine, and then, you know, what happens when they can't have it? Think about it. They're a whole new person, aren't they? All right. Um, well, let's look at the caffeine the coffee here. Many people complain about being addicted to caffeine, but the science behind coffee studies indicate that no matter how addicted you are, just one cup of coffee is going to do it. Yep, Dr. Andrew Baum of the Medical Psychology Department at Uniformed Services University says that you don't need more than one cup of regular coffee to get the same result. However, coffee drinkers you know, they know their caffeine. Under blind taste tests, they know which coffee is the decaf and which is the caffeine. Also, the study concluded that more people medicate themselves with regular coffee to counteract depression. And it should also be noted that coffee also has thousands of years of safe use compared to antidepressant drugs. Now, of course, anything in excess can wreck you. Uh, more than two to four cups of regular coffee per day can contribute to anxiety, nervousness, mood swings, and insomnia. And you want to be aware there is more caffeine in some over-the-counter products like Midol and extra-strength Bayer. Aspirin has caffeine, which have you know more caffeine than a cup of coffee would or a cup of espresso or even a Mountain Dew soft drink. Think about that. So let's say you're washing down your extra strength bear with a Mountain Dew. Oh, right? All right, so you want to keep things straight. So who knew that a little cup of java could upset body chemistry to the point of psychiatry? 
Yep, Dr. Simon Young, Department of Psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal, warns that when our brain has low serotonin, we are susceptible to psychiatric symptoms. So this would explain why air traffic controllers struggle with depression living on caffeine during their stressful shift in the control tower. So between 80 to 90% of Americans are addicted to caffeine and at least 15% are so concerned they are cutting back or they've stopped eating foods with caffeine. So adding more serotonin to the brain can relieve depression and even violent tendencies. So we will examine how we can achieve this with some natural foods, okay? First, let's take a peek at sugar. So when people get depressed, they often turn to sugar to relieve their blues. Americans eat more sugar during the winter than any other season. So you may recognize fall-winter depression. It's known as SAD or seasonal affective disorder. Some people are more sensitive to the light, and when the days become shorter, their mood shifts and they get more depressed. And uh, people who have sudden affective uh, mood disorder usually crave sweets and starches, which help them fight the winter blues and lift their mood a little bit. Now, Dr. Norman Rosenthal of the SAD research of the National Institute of Mental Health says that the normal person after they eat carbs or sugar feels less alert, less energetic. Um, You know, you kind of feel sluggish and sleepy, uh, like you need to take a nap. But the person with a a seasonal affective disorder, that individual has the opposite reaction. Carbohydrates and sugars have become an antidepressant to a person suffering from seasonal affective disorder. And no wonder the World Health Organization wants to regulate foods like drugs under the Codex Food Harmonization Code. So does science know why seasonal affective disorder individuals have the opposite reaction to sugar and carbohydrates? One explanation is that the depressed person already has abnormal brain chemistry stemming from metabolism and serotonin levels. Eating these foods boosts the serotonin level. Should people who suffer from seasonal affective disorder avoid sugar and carbohydrates, especially during the winter months? No. Avoiding those foods only promotes a deeper depression. So the body is sending a strong biological signal to eat these foods um, to the point of even addiction. So going on a high-protein, low-carb diet would probably be fatal for them. And you can cut back on the sugar and eat more carbs like dried beans, pasta, vegetables, cereal, whole grain, bread, and crackers. And these foods will work just as well, but at a little slower rate, helping to balance out the metabolism. So it will be like a time-release thing. And it is advisable to avoid excessive alcohol or caffeine as a medication for the winter blues or seasonal affective disorder. So these foods tend to increase anxiety and adverse mood swings. All right, some food substitutes. Uh, Studies have shown that eating more green vegetables lightens your mood and can help fight the seasonal affective disorder or depression. So why do greens help with that? Well, they contain a lot of folic acid or folate, and many people who have seasonal affective disorder or depression have folate deficiency. So folic acid or vitamin B 
and the central nervous system really depends on your B vitamins. So you're going to find high concentrations of folate in legumes, you know, your beans, uh, lentil beans, things like that. Uh, Dr. Young at McGill University found that by eliminate, if we eliminate the folate deficiency, it cures depression, he says. Think about this for a minute, what that means to the drug industry with all their antidepressants. Yeah, you just need B vitamins. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of psychiatrists who have uh, 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 practices and they don't treat with any prescription drugs. They they, they use foods. So this is great. Um, so Dr. Young at McGill University says, um, you know, you, you want to get the folate. His research revealed that those with depression and other psychiatric disorders had a much lower folate level than healthy, sound-minded individuals. Hey, I bet you the Democrats are low in folate. What do you think? So when you have low folate, it causes a serotonin level in the brain to severely decline. And with as little as a third of a cup of spinach, you can relieve that depression. So, but you don't want to cook the spinach to death now. Okay, eat raw spinach. So it is best to get your folate from your foods rather than getting too much from pills. Mm -hmm. So other foods that contain uh, vitamins that will lift mood are Brazil nuts, tuna, swordfish, sunflower seeds, oat bran, and whole wheat. All right, let's look at some other mood elevators. Uh, One study surprised me because, you know, we know that garlic helps lower cholesterol and thin blood. However, researchers say that it also has a positive effect on mood. A study by German researchers at the University of Hanover stated that their test group had a garlic and the other test group didn't, but the test group with the garlic had a greater feeling of well-being and a better mood. They also stated that the garlic group reported feeling less fatigue, less anxious, less agitated, less irritable. So no wonder garlic is the most popular over-the-counter product in Germany. Hmm. So folate foods and garlic for those who are depressed. There you go. So also Dr. Paul Rosen of the University of Pennsylvania, he's a psychology department researcher, and he says the effects of cayenne or capsicum in your hot peppers um, affects depression also. Uh, the hot pepper induces a rush of endorphins to the brain, which can produce a temporary high. How does this work? Well, according to Dr. Rosen, the hot taste in the mouth stimulates nerve endings to send a chemical signal to the brain that you ate something pretty hot. And the brain releases natural painkillers or endorphins that work similar to a shot of morphine to stop stop the pain. So you can you can keep eating the hot peppers and the brain continues to release the endorphins and you can get a buildup of endorphins creating what they call a pleasure rush, right? Now, according to this research, it's hard to stay depressed when you're eating hot peppers. Oh, yes. Uh, Well, hey, Um, hot taste in the mouth. Um, Enzymes in tomato counter the hot taste, but won't counter the endorphins. Uh, Or uh, chilled fruit, same thing. Enzymes in the fruit have some standing by. Oh, avoid the ice water. Just magnifies the hot. Okay. So you've got some natural food tools here. How empowering is that, right? 
Obviously, changing the way you eat is going to have a big impact, a significant impact, and help your wellness, your well-being, you know, get rid of the blues, the depression, the anxiety, the insomnia, the mood swings, low energy, you know. And just enjoy life. Get some good foods going. So if you can't seem to get enough of the good nutrition you're needing, well, then check out the PowerHerbs.com. They are the experts in whole food supplements. which is a benefit, definite benefit. So thepowerherbs.com, check it out, thepowerherbs.com. Toll-free number is 866-229-3663. They do have a whole tab on um, emotional issues, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, panic attacks. Check that out. Um, Also, you know, a lot of people lift their moods when they get the toxins out of the system that are lodged in tissue. So use your cleansing, uh, your organ cleansing pack. So check that out, thepowerherbs.com. You have solutions to everyday problems. You have organic whole food tools. Um, you know, your healthcare options just became endless. It's empowering, definitely. All right, we got a few minutes, and uh, we are going to be talking about some fast-track nutrients since we're on the nutrient high here. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I want to eat better, but I just don't have time. And I hear that a lot. I understand. Life is hectic. Um, precious commodity of time these days. Families struggle to find time uh, to make a nutritious meal, let alone sit down and eat it together. So there are a lot of ads for supplements that talk about, you know, super nutrition uh, in their products. You hear them all over the radio, too. Um, but you want to be careful that their ingredient list doesn't read like an isolated chemical nutrient list, okay? Different animal when you're looking at isolated synthetic nutrients loaded in a, a, a bottle and uh, uh, probably made in Germany. So there are uh, lots of hype out there, marketing hype. Um, you even hear the term nutraceutical, which is uh, impressive. Uh, but really, nutraceutical it describes the synthetic herb ingredient, Who wants a synthetic herb? Come on. What's wrong with the real deal? Synthetic, mm mm-mm, petrochemical, not happening. Some of the popular organic grocery stores are even stocking nutraceuticals right alongside of the standardized uh, organic supplements. So as more and more supplement companies either go out of business or are bought out by pharmaceutical companies, consumers are finding it, a little more challenging to find some whole food supplement choices out there. So they have to work harder to find that. So there are some basic ingredients consumers can keep in mind that's going to offer them a whole lot of nutrition in the supplement area that can sustain their metabolism. So we're going to check that out. First, you want to think green. Green. So, um, you know, when I was a budding herbalist in herb school, I was introduced to three grasses that are usually pretty plentiful, pretty common, but they're packed full of nutrition. And these are foods, and um, they provide what is called super nutrition. Consumers are looking for them in their supplements these days. The three uh, grasses sound like something from um, Farmer Joe would, you know, take and feed his animals, uh, or something you'd find on the prairie or 
get out the lawnmower for. But the three grasses are alfalfa, barley, and wheatgrass. And these are naturally gluten-free. They do not contain a wheat berry. So grasses like these are not grains, but are packed full of vital nutrients that the body is starving for. So the chemical analysis of the grasses um, is they have similar profiles to many of the dark green leafy vegetables that may be missing from your diet. So why are more people not taking advantage of the superior nutrition in these grasses and they prefer instead to pop the artificially colored gummy vitamins full of fillers, sugar, and God knows what? Well, because they're uneducated. Uh, they don't know of something better out there. And the other thing is is they, they can't get it past their taste buds if it's not sweet and, uh, you know, tasting like a uh, popsicle. So the American Dairy Association, they were founded in 1906, and it was discovered in the 1930s when cows did not eat fresh grass, and in particular, young grass, the chemical nutrients in the milk declined. So it was uh, at that discovery that scientists started researching the nutritional benefits of these grasses. So when you have cows stalled in um, dairy farms and they don't get sunshine, they don't get fresh grass, they get dried hay at the, at the most, can you imagine what's in that milk? What, there is no nutrition in that milk. Okay, let's look at wheatgrass real quickly. In the 1930s, the agricultural, an agricultural chemist, Charles uh, Schnabel, started documenting the nutritional benefits of wheatgrass and was later called the father of wheatgrass. Now, Schnabel stressed that the importance of whole food wheatgrass in his early stages when he was researching the chlorophyll in the wheatgrass, and he says it's four times greater in, chlor in chlorophyll, this grass. So he experimented using wheatgrass to feed chickens, especially in the winter months, and then it, what it did is it tripled their egg production. And he wrote that wheatgrass benefits nearly all kinds of livestock. He wrote that cows produce richer, more nutritious milk and more milk, so there's really no reason for farmers to, you know, inject their cows with, um, you know, pharmaceutical substances, um, uh, hormones to increase uh, milk production when they can just give them some wheatgrass. And no need to, um, well, animals that are fed wheatgrass really had lower infant mortality. They had healthier fur. Uh, the chickens had healthier feathers. And they just, you know, animals just had overall better coats. Now, Schnabel also worked uh, for a time as a feed meal chemist for the um, agricultural farming industry. So in the 30s, what he did is he developed his own wheatgrass supplement powder, and his family actually used it. Uh, and they, and they uh, claimed they didn't have any serious illnesses or even any tooth decay. It was essentially the very first whole food multivitamin, but... Um, you know, he had put it into a tablet, and he had to take 20 tablets a day, and people just didn't want to swallow all those pills. So by the 1950s, um, people switched to that hype marketing, a one-a-day synthetic multivitamin, still popular today on the shelf, the one-a-day. Um, 
And they said it was better than whole food and having to take 20 pills and blah, blah, blah. So the one-a-day vitamin was hailed as a miracle. And it was an attempt to combine wheatgrass with synthetic chemicals in order to complete a synthetic vitamin regimen. Um, and, you know, and hopefully in some, uh, in some industries they add dried wheatgrass to animal feeds. But still, there's nothing like the fresh stuff. So basically what our creator has done is given us grasses uh, to sustain life. It's a life-sustaining resource. So scientists discovered that the vitamins, amino acids, minerals, protein, enzymes needed to support life are in those grasses. Science has, hasn't really found another food source that can compete with it. And this is your very basic, powerful survival food. So um, if you're looking for that, barley grass, lots of natural vitamin B12 for those with the sad, effective seasonal disorder. Wheatgrass regulates digestion, helps the intestines out and blood uh, as well. Alfalfa grass, mineral-rich, antifungal, uh, eight essential amino acids. So Guess what? These grasses are in the Body Foundation food mix that the folks at thepowerherbs.com put together. Apothecary Herbs basically puts that together. So uh, you can check this out. Very popular item in two different sizes, and you just add it to juice or water. And um, it's a survival food, especially in this day and age when 50% of our foods have or our foods have 50% less nutrition in them than 100 years ago. So it's going to be essential for us to do more and at the same time uh, save because the PowerHerbs.com has money-saving coupons on their website. If you don't have Internet access when you call them, ask, hey, can I have a coupon? Does any of your coupons apply? Can I save money today? 866-229-3663, thepowerherbs.com. Uh, uh, that's where your healthcare options just became endless. Empower yourself, folks, and don't be depressed this winter season. Don't be sad, and don't be, you know, not able to sleep. Don't be depressed. Don't be anxious. Thepowerherbs.com has herbs for that, and they're whole food-based. And you get balanced the system. You make sure that lifestyle's in check, and you don't have to take this stuff forever either. It's just to get you balanced. Thepowerherbs.com, 866-229-3663. I'm out of time. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease, so seek medical advice if you dare from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
folks. Welcome to the Covenanters Call radio broadcast. I'm Jason Burton, broadcasting out of Auburn, Indiana. I am sitting in tonight for Pastor Mike Hoover, who had something come up that he just couldn't avoid. Sometimes that happens with a pastor. Sometimes uh, things just have to be done, and it's uh, it's you have to call somebody else to see if they can substitute for you, and that's what Pastor Mike Hoover of Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church has asked me to do this evening is to sit in for him for the Covenanters Call radio broadcast. This is actually where I cut my teeth many years ago was on this broadcast. I recall being uh, in Bible Institute, and he was my pastor at the time, and he ended up giving each of us 15 minutes once a month on the radio broadcast, and uh, all these years later, here I am sitting back in on the Covenanters Call radio broadcast. Uh, Before we get to a lot of the uh, important stuff and important articles and important Bible, most importantly, that we have lined up for tonight, I'm going to give a little bit of a contact information. You can, of course, contact Pastor Mike Hoover, uh, who is the pastor of Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church in Paley, Indiana. I'm going to tell you the best way to contact him is to go to their church website at Historic Baptist. .net. That's historic Baptists with an S, .net. And he's got a contact form there that you can fill out that will shoot him a message to his email. And uh, that is a very good way to get a hold of Pastor Hoover. And while you're there, look around that website and look at the things that are there. And, uh, and I'm not sure if it's been updated for a while, but uh, hey, that would be a good thing to put into the comment section and to shoot off to him from that website is, hey, update your website every once in a while, Pastor Mike, or have whoever does it do it anyway. But uh, folks, it is good to be on the air tonight. I am Jason Burton, and I attend Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church in Union City, Indiana. I am out of town tonight in in a hotel room in uh, Auburn, Indiana on business. And so uh, pray for me as I've got unfamiliar surroundings. I do have my computer with me. Unfortunately, I did not have my headset, so I'm using a Bluetooth headset connected to my iPhone, which is connected to Skype, and then I am able to access the chat room through the computer, and we're going to make this thing work out, Frank. Frank, of, of course, being in the broadcast booth, the owner of the station, he always has things under control anyway. But uh, you can email me at refreshedaz at hotmail.com. I am the research director for the Ecclesiastical Law Center. And if you want to know more about the Ecclesiastical Law Center and what we do, including unincorporating churches and assisting pastors with uh, teaching and, and assisting pastors in any way we can, um, navigate the things that they have to go through in this day and age, go to lordshipchurches.net. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the old address. It's lordshipchurches.info. We've got some new things up there. I've got a few blog posts up there. It's been a while since uh, Pastor Ben Townsend, the director of the Ecclesiastical Law Center, has posted anything. And it's been a real long time since Pastor Keith Hoover has done so. He is my pastor at Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church. And so, uh, hey, we've got a contact form on lordshipchurches.info as well. Just type your information in there and tell Pastor Keith that he has got to get more information up there, at least do a blog post every once in a while. Hey, if I can't get to them, I might as well, you know, just ask you over the radio to be able to get, uh, to get him to do that because he, 
<laughs> he's got a lot of good to say. He just needs to write some of it down and put it in a blog post on lordshipchurches.info. Uh, we're an organization uh, that's not really an organization. The the uh, the uh, what we like to call ourselves are just pastors helping pastors, and that's what we do. Um, we do research in uh, in in the law and things like that. Uh, we are not lawyers. I just wanted to throw that out there, but. We do have a lot of good information. Uh, Dr. Benjamin Townsend and uh, and the late Dr. Robin Wright have written a couple of books on the issue, and uh, and so it's just something that we do. It's a calling. It's a ministry. So check that out. Let us know what you think, uh, or email me again at refreshedaz at hotmail dot com. Now again, one more thing. One more thing before we get to the articles and. Uh, I got to tell you about this. Go to theamericanvoice.com if you're not there already. And then about halfway down on the left-hand side, you'll see where it says AVRN chat. Click on that, sign up, jump into that chat room, and be part of this radio program and a part of every radio program on the American Voice radio network. And uh, I'll tell you why. Because in doing so, very often you're part of the program. A lot of what is said in the chat room, actually ends up making it on the air. And I'm going to give it a for instance. I said, hey, Tony, how are you in the chat room? And Tony responded back to me, okay. So see, what he typed in there in the chat room actually made it on the radio. You don't want to ignore this opportunity to be part of the American Voice Radio Network. Also, while you're at theamericanvoice.com, check out, and I'm actually going to get the name of this correct this time, Frank. Check out the... Uh, meme gallery that is hilarious hey and also oh uh the news page but right above that is very uh, important thing as well there are very few places on the internet or otherwise in which the truth is freely put forth the american voice radio network is one of those places it's one of those very few places so consider this evening clicking on that button that says donate to avrn you know what you didn't need that extra uh, coffee today. You didn't need that extra candy bar. You can donate to AVRN and you can help keep the truth going out there on this broadcast, the Covenanters Call radio broadcast, on the broadcast that me and Pastor Anthony Garissi um, host on Monday nights, the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast, and on all of the broadcasts on this radio network. So consider donating to the AVRN, and uh, you can also see all the audio schedules. There's just a ton of information that is on this uh, website. You can, uh, you can look at, at all the details about each of the uh, radio broadcasts that are on this network. Um, it just uh, There's a news stream. There's all sorts of things, live streams, of course, which uh, I found very handy since I travel um, quite a bit. I can just tune in on that eight kilobits per second. You say, that's not very high quality. It's good enough quality that I can understand what the hosts are saying, and that's what matters because the truth then is getting out there, and I can hear it while I travel, and it only uses 3.78 megabytes per hour of data on your cell phone or on your other device. Now, Frank, I am really glad you put that up there, by the way. That's a good thing to know. And uh, it looks like that I can actually, with my data plan, go up to about 24 or 56 even uh, kilobits per second when I listen. And so good to know, uh, because if you want to just pop in wherever you're at with your device or with your phone, 
It's not going to take up all your data plan. Or you could just do like I do with one of my phones. Yeah, I got a work phone. I got a personal phone. And just have unlimited data. It works out well that way as well. All right, folks. Well, this is the Covenant Answers Call radio broadcast. And uh, we've got a number of things to deal with this evening. But the major main topic, oh, Tony just popped out of the chat room. Um, the major thing I want to talk about, particularly in the second half of the broadcast, is I want to talk about do you believe in God? Do you believe there is a God? Now, be very careful how you answer that question before uh, before you answer it. You can say, yes, I believe there's a God, but a lot of times in our actions and in what we think about and in the directions that we're going, we act as if there is no God. So I want to take a, a good part of this show um, as soon as we get past a few news articles that have come up to deal with atheism. Now, I'm going to be particularly dealing with those that are the evangelical-type atheists who go out there, such as Richard Dawkins and others, who go out there and try to promote their faith or lack thereof, and that everybody ought to believe that the way that they do, and they do this by uh, rubbing people's faces in the, or by saying that these people don't know anything and uh, trying to make them look foolish, Okay. They're evangelical in what they're doing. They're trying to spread the, I don't know, the bad news or the mediocre news that there is no God. Um, yet you see that in their actions, in their writings, in the things that they do, uh, you see that they actually are putting themselves against a God that they don't believe even exists. We're going to delve into this in detail in this broadcast. It's going to be really interesting because... You're bound to meet somebody in this world that claims to not believe in God. Well, we're going to examine that in the light of Scripture. And I've got uh, some other things that I want to read to you with regard to that. But uh, before we get to that, I want to um, give a shout-out to my family who's listening this evening in Union City, Indiana. Um, thank you, Amy and Casey and Corey, Callie, Caleb, Christian, and Clara for listening this evening. There, you had your names on the radio isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing? All right. So uh, the first article that I ran across was an article in the American Thinker by a man named Richard F. Miniter, and uh, it's dealing with Obama. Now, when I was growing up, I was a bit of a Rudyard Kipling fan. I haven't read any of his stuff in, in a very long time. But I thought this article was interesting in that it, it he uses Rudyard Kipling as a way to show us that Obama is just a frightened child who wants to ignore what's going on in this world. But I'm going to have a few words to say about that as well. But let me start this article. As a youngster at bedtime, I remember being immensely entertained and more than a little frightened listening to the opening lines of Kipling's A Smuggler's Song. If you wake at midnight and hear a horse's feet, don't go drawing back the blind or looking in the street. Them that ask no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Smugglers is about a smuggling in the 19th century Britain, but its theme is that children best turn their head to the wall when something scary seems to be going on outside in the dark. A lot of fun. Even today, when you have to explain many of the antiquated terms to a child, but never in the long history of this poem would you have expected to find its theme parading around as the ruling principle of an American president as it does in Barack Obama's administration. 
so much so that it would be emblazoned on the lecterns he lectures us from, embroidered on the $12,000 designer dresses his wife tries to impress us with, and even escutcheoned on the golf carts he waves to us peasants from. Look away. Pull the blanket over your head. Close those eyes real tight now. But it is worse than that because he carries the theme forward in subscribing to the ancient notion that saying the devil's name, Abracadabra, will summon him by superstitiously refusing to label bad things. Believing, it seems, that if you actually say the words like Islamic terrorism or long-term unemployment out loud, they'll become all too real. So that's the rub with people like him, isn't it? The fact that they never want to be confronted with actual problems because they never want to go face-to-face with the issue of solving them. Their careers have been in community service or government. They've never had to lay a real brick wall, fight a real war, be in a business situation where they had to get a real number had to get a real number or wind up on the street, successfully pitch a real sale, raise a real crop, or rope a real steer. And so the thought of being measured by a standard that demands real outcomes terrifies them. Why such a thing is even racist? So they pretend and pretend and pretend. Look back. We hired Barack Obama as our chief executive, not with my vote, by the way. That's my own parenthetical statement in this article. And with any amount of hope in our hearts, went down his dreary road with him. He insisted that his trillion-dollar stimulus would jumpstart the economy. We tried it, and the economy tanked. He promised us that we could keep our own doctor, and every American family would save $2,500 a year on medical insurance premiums with Obamacare. We tried it, and the exact opposite happened. He promised us that things would be okay if we ran from Iraq. We did, and our retreat produced one of the worst horrors in human history. Now he insists that we have never been stronger militarily, but when we look, we see that the Marine Corps has been hollowed out, the Air Force is flying half the number of planes it used to, the Navy keeps shrinking, the Army is approaching its lowest level since before World War II, and Russians are laughing at us as the Chinese build better aircraft carriers. Last but not least, there's the issue of racial animosity, something Obama was supposed to help the nation transcend. Indeed, it was his biggest selling point. Some would say, and I do, his only selling point. Yet instead of improving with his time in office, the animus has increased. Barack Obama cannot admit the disastrous results of his policies, ever. Like just the other day, when he pretended that the $4 million in cash that had to arrive in Iran before the hostages' plane was allowed to leave wasn't a ransom. Because if he admits things like that, then it may overwhelm the cult of personality that was his only means of reaching office and remains the one hope of holding his head up in retirement. And so his anxious charade, uh, or charade winds on down and down through his last six months in power, denying, denying, and denying again. Pretending that Donald Trump is an idiot and Obama a sage. That America was never more respected abroad than it is now. That poverty, despair, and resignation among the people have not increased. Dreading that awful day when he has to hustle Michelle out of the White House, still working on her last plate of taxpayer-paid French fries. And she, he, the kids, and Valerie Jarrett, in spirit at least, the other wife Sharia law allows, all go off to their sumptuous publicly funded retirement in some Washington or Chicago mansion guarded by troops of publicly funded secret service agents. Take your pick. See either the stuff revolutions are made of or a Pink Panther cartoon come to life. 
and so unnecessary. Because just as we shouldn't elect a frightfully demanding child in the person of Hillary Clinton, we should never have elected a frightened, demanding child like Barack Obama to that high office. Because America never was and never should be about personality cults. Make believe we're being so terrified of the real world that you cannot even speak longer than a minute without a teleprompter. We're Americans. We don't scare, except at bedtime when mom and dad are funning us with an old poem. What a fantastic article that was written by Richard F. Miniter. And it really gives you some insight into the Obama that is afraid of being exposed. You, we've all met them. We've all worked with them. Those that are all talk and no action. Those who uh, claim to have <laughs> all of the experience in the world and come to find out that they've actually lied about that experience. And now when they're faced with real, problem, real world problems and real world difficulties, that they aren't able to perform up to the way that they said that they would. And it's a disappointment on the job side, just as, as, as is a disappointment when we find out somebody that we love has lied to us, uh, somebody that we respect is not what they have uh, put themselves out there to be. It's a huge disappointment. And here is Obama, uh, or at least Minotaur's making this argument that Obama is a frightened child who doesn't want to be exposed for his ignorance not only of world issues, but of adult things. And this was just a fantastic revelation to me. And as he went down through that list of things that Obama has, uh, has done and revealed that it just comes from an extremely childish and petulant attitude, which most of us knew was there anyway, but really it sharpens this point that here is a man who ate years, seven and a half years anyway, into office, seven and a half years into office, still thinks that he can hide his incompetence and his lack of ability to act as an adult. Isn't any wonder that the vast majority of Americans who aren't on, uh, who, who don't depend upon their government for their subsistence, don't like this guy? I mean, the fact is, let, let's just face a fact, folks. If, if somebody is, is begging the government for every single bit of subsistence and the ability to exist in this world, then they absolutely are acting like children themselves, and they look to this guy as, as some sort of savior who's giving them all their freebies. But what is it when a childish person is brought and given the power that Obama has been given, and then seven and a half years, when the gravy train's getting ready to end, he does everything he can to preserve uh, the, any sort of idea that there is any sort of adult intelligence in this man. And you know what? That makes a great deal of sense. He was stunted uh, emotionally at a certain point and never grew past it. Really, it's shocking looking back over the history of Obama as to how he actually made it to be the president of the United States as it is. He has no real accomplishments. He's never had to face a real world at all. And you, you can just judge this by his actions over the last seven and a half years. And notice I haven't even mentioned his race because really it doesn't have anything to do with the reason that he acts the way that he acts at its root. 
Yes, I know he race baits. Yes, I know he uses uh, has used his blackness in order to to uh, to get things that he wants. Yes, I I understand this. I, I I know this, but it's not really the root cause of what Obama is. The root cause is that he's just a little child, an evil little child. Yeah, I grant you, but he's never emotionally uh, developed enough to be able to make real-life, real-world adult decisions, even after being president for seven and a half years. That evidence that I just mentioned of this, his own actions, what, what has he done? Well, I'll tell you this, he's flown around the world. He's played a lot of golf. He doesn't take his security briefings until 10 o'clock in the morning. He shows up at 10, he leaves at 3. The uh, heads of state show up in Washington and he doesn't entertain them. These were all things that you would expect of a very immature person. He's always been surrounded by people who've been enablers. And now as he sees his time is winding down um, and he's getting ready to have to go into his next next act as an ex-president, that uh, he's a little bit worried about it. But the evidence that Minotaur gave in his article was mind-blowing about his childishness. You've wondered why he doesn't want to say Islamic terrorism. Well, it could be he's a closet Muslim himself. That's what a lot of people uh, have put forth, that he is actually uh, a Muslim who is is lying, which apparently is allowed by Muslims in order to be in a position of high power. But it's interesting, isn't it, that many of the things that he has done as president could easily be explained by the fact that he's never emotionally developed beyond a child. A child is going to pitch a fit. A child is going to scream. A child is going to say it's unfair. A child is going to make fun of other children. These are just, this just happens. I mean, we've all been victims and we've all been perpetrators of it, but hopefully when we were children. And uh, he just has never developed. What a great, what a great article. And uh, I'm going to read one more time a smuggler's song that first, the first four lines of that. If you wake at midnight and hear a horse's feet, don't go drawing back the blind or looking in the street. Them that ask no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Fantastic. Hey, I ran into this other article, uh, Time Magazine, time.com. Um, it's not really an article. It's kind of a photo uh, uh, slideshow. There is an article that it goes with it. But um, what it is, is witnessing a complete collapse of society in Venezuela. And uh, so go check out those pictures, and you can see what the result of socialism is on a country that has a great deal of nat natural resources, on a country that uh, in the past has had a great deal of investments from other countries uh, outside of it. Has there been, you know, typical bad capitalism, crony capitalism down there? Oh, I'm sure there has. But they're sitting on one of the world's largest uh, proven oil reserves, and yet their people are starving. So there's something going on there. It's called socialism. All right. Next article. Uh, this one is from the Canada Free Press, and this was written by Katie Grimes. And uh, one of the uh, folks in the chat room last night would appreciate the title of this article. The voting system is rigged. I'm not going to read this whole article. But, folks, the deal is with electronic voting, the way that we have it, it's easily rigged. You want to know why in England they were able to pass uh, Brexit to get out of the EU? 
It's because they they hand counted the the votes. They were written down on paper. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they they're written down on paper. A representative from either side of the issue were sitting on either side of the table, and they examined all of the ballots cast and counted them up. And uh, there was no voter fraud that was available. It was all an open process. But here's the deal: you go in to early vote or to vote on on uh, election day even, and you put your uh, little vote into an iPad now. Now, what happens after that? Well, there, there's no reason to believe that there's any voter fraud going on at all. Oh, like nobody has ever taken a computer and used it to manipulate data. Please, come on, give me a break. Now, if you follow the money trail, well, who stands to benefit from uh, rigging elections? Well, you know, how about maybe the guy that is kind of like in charge of the company that does the uh, does the uh, uh, <laughs> electronic voting? Yeah, George Soros. Okay, that's enough of that, but the voting system is rigged. All right, folks, we're already to the halfway point. This is the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. Let's talk about atheists in the second half of the broadcast, and let's prove them against Scripture and against reason as well. We'll be right back after this break. vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. 
some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Welcome back to the Contenders for the Faith. Oh, no, to the Covenanters Call Radio Broadcast. Oh, I knew I was going to do that. This is uh, Jason Burton sitting in for Pastor Mike Hoover tonight on the Covenanters Call Radio Broadcast. And I uh, very much appreciate being on here, and I appreciate you tuning into the broadcast this evening. We're going to talk about in the second half of the broadcast um, atheism. We're going to just deal with it from a biblical perspective as we attempt to do in all of our uh, broadcasts to bring the Bible to you and to apply it to what's going on in the world today. Seems like that regardless of where you're at, uh, atheism is growing. And in fact, the the polls kind of bear this out. Uh, there were there were, have been many Pew Research studies done regarding atheism in America. And as soon as I read a passage of scripture to you, we'll get into one of these Pew Research studies to see how many Americans really truly are atheists and what they actually believe because atheists, they, they run the gamut. And so this should be eye opening in the second half of this broadcast. Uh, while I'm, while I remember, jump into that chat room too at the American voice.com and uh, see if you can participate in the chat. There's an excellent way to be part of the broadcast. All right. Psalm 14 and verse one says this to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Bible talks many times about people that don't believe in God. Here we're shown in a Psalm of David that the fool has already said in his heart that there is no God. Um, there can be a lot that goes along with this. There are some people that call themselves atheists to believe in a supreme God. I'll get into the details of of this research study that was done on this in just a moment. So that is, does seem kind of strange to me, but uh, the Bible does talk about in various places and in different contexts, people that don't believe in God, whether it's through their actions or whether it's through an actual uh, belief that reason is the highest uh, thing to ascend to in the universe and that we are created from nothing. Let me tell you where I stand with regard to uh, atheism and with regard to the existence of God, a person would be a fool 
which the Bible doesn't use that word lightly, if they do not believe in God. That's because we have the evidence of God's existence all around us. Have you ever been asked, can I prove that God exists? Well, absolutely, we can prove that God exists. You say, well, how can you do that? You can't prove God exists. He's a spirit. Well, I can see the results of his hand. For instance, if you're walking out in the desert and you find a watch laying on the ground, you don't say, wow, over thousands or millions of years, all of the elements that are in this desert came together to form this watch. No, you assume that it was created in a factory somewhere by somebody. Engineers had designed it, and it had been placed there. Yes, everything that's in that desert, or everything that's in that watch, is also found in that desert in its natural state. However, you know the watch has a designer because it has been designed, because it is a creation. Well, when we take a look at the natural world around us, it becomes evident and obvious to us that everything, that the natural world had a creator because you see order in that. You see, for instance, in our DNA, you see a book written that is actually the book of our life that shows us, uh, that, that is expressed through our, our genetic predispositions and physical traits. And uh, you see that uh, in order for all of that information to have been there, it couldn't have just come about by accident. It had to have been put there by a designer. And, and so on and so forth. You could look at the entire universe, uh, just the fine balance that the Earth is in at 23 degrees to the sun and how it spins and how the moon actually keeps it from wobbling too much, which would throw our seasons out of whack, which are necessary for life. And you uh, can take all of these things and just look around the universe, look at the stars and, and how uh, vast this universe is and all of the design that has gone in uh, the mathematical uh, probability of, of things coming about by accident have, are so far beyond the realm of possibility that mathematicians would say that it, that it was simply not possible. In fact, they rule things out at a 1 to 20. But uh, that's neither here nor there. God's evidence is everywhere. He shows us evidence through his creation. He shows us evidence through, um, through people's lives being changed through his word. He shows, his, he shows his evidence in these various ways, and the Bible talks a great deal about this. So, yeah, we can prove that there is a God. Now, the question is, for the atheist is this. What proof would be good enough? I've asked, this, I've asked atheists this question before. They say, well, prove to me there's a God. I say, well, what proof, proof would you want? Well, I want him to come down here and stand right before me right now. Well, that's really arrogant of you. To, to think that the God of the universe should bow down right before you because of your curiosity as to whether or not he exists when you can look around everywhere and see his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God, and, the, and the, the earth shows the very work of his hands, and you want him to condescend, even though he already sent his son to die in your place, to come and stand in front of you, wave his arms, and say, hey, I exist, I exist. How arrogant can you get? But you know what? Arrogance is not something that is lacking in most atheists. Uh, they're, they're not the most humble lot, especially the evangelical types of atheists that I run into. Psalm 53 and verse 1 says, To the chief musician upon Mahalal, Mishael, a psalm of David, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Now, about that Pew Research study that I was telling you about, this can be found on pewresearch.org. Here are 10 quick facts about atheists. First of all, uh, their study or uh, 
2014 found that 3.1% of American atheists say that they are atheists when asked about their religious identity, or American adults. I'm sorry, 3.1% of American adults say they are atheists when asked about their religious identity. Now, this is up from 1.6% in a similar uh, large study in 2007. Second fact about atheists, 68% are men, and the, and the middle median age of an atheist adult is 34, compared with 46 for all U.S. adults. Third fact is that about two-thirds of atheists, 69%, identify as Democrats or lean in that direction, which makes perfect sense because they're unreasonable. And a majority, 56%, call themselves political liberals, compared with just one in 10 who say that they are conservatives. Well, we can address that one very quickly. If you don't believe that there is a higher authority, you don't believe that there's someone who has created you, you're going to throw out morality. Why would you have morality? Why? What would be the purpose? What would be evolution's purpose behind it? Well, in order to have purpose, you have to have intelligence. They can't even speak a sentence hardly without admitting that there is something that is controlling everything. All right, number four, 8% of those who call themselves atheists also say they believe in God or a universal spirit. Now, I don't get this. It's almost one in 10. <clears throat> almost one in 10 say that they believe in God, <laughs> and yet they call themselves an atheist. Well, maybe they're just honest, and they realize that uh, by their lack of, um, of acknowledging the reality of God in their life, they are acting atheists. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, the fifth fact is this. Atheists are more likely than Christians in the U.S. to say that they often feel a sense of wonder about the universe. So 54% of atheists say they often feel a sense of wonder about the universe. 45% of Christians say that. What's wrong with you Christians? Good night. I am one. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and died on our behalf on the cross of Calvary, and, and in particular, my behalf, because I was under the condemnation of God. How do you, as a Christian, you 55% out there, not feel some sense of wonder about the universe often? I challenge you to do this. My family and I do it quite a bit. When the, uh, when the sky is clear and it's night, Go out and look at the stars and just realize how vast this universe is and how small we are. Here we are on this beautiful planet just kind of hurtling about space, spinning at 26,000 miles per hour. And uh, at 10% further in, we'd burn up. 10% further out, we would, uh, we would freeze into an ice ball. And yet here we are, right, where, exactly where God put us. That's a wonderful thing. All right. Fact number six about atheists, this isn't about Christians yet. Two-thirds, 65%, say they seldom or never discuss their views on religion with religious people. Well, that, I, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, fact number seven, about a third of atheists, 32%, say they look primarily to science for guidance on questions of right and wrong. Now, this one got me. Think about this. Science? They look to science to guide them on questions of right and wrong. And folks, science does not exist to determine questions of right and wrong. Science is not a moral uh, authority. Science tries to prove how things work and uh, through observation to determine how our universe is designed. That's science. 
But the scientists, they change their mind all the time on things. I mean, in the 1970s, we were going into the next great ice age. Well, apparently that happened and nobody noticed because now we're into global warming. And then just the other day, I saw a couple of articles saying we could be going into another ice age. You say, where did you see those articles? I don't remember. I wish I could find them. Uh, There are a couple of scientists out there saying that right now. Science is not settled. It's, It's by consensus in today's day and age. And if you don't fall in line with that consensus, then you are not allowed to have anything printed in the in the journals or anything like that. And you are boxed out of participation in the scientific community if you don't agree with the majority. Well, guess what? The majority of scientists are wrong. They're wrong about a lot of stuff, and they have been in the past. Science is always changing. You can use that as your basis for morality. That's ridiculous. I hope you find a firmer uh firmer thing to base your morality upon, because what if science comes out and says, you know, it's okay for you to steal all my money. I don't want that to happen. How can you use science as your basis for right and wrong? But 32% say that they do. That's because the answer to every question for the atheist is science. So how was your morning, science? Well, what'd you have for breakfast? Science. (laughs) And it goes on and on and so forth. All right. Uh, Fact number eight, Americans like atheists less than they like members of most major religious groups. I thought this was funny. U.S. adults like atheists, I guess, enjoy having them around about as much as they enjoy having around Muslims. Um, They were asked to rate religious uh, opinions and beliefs from zero, as cold and negative as possible, to 100, the warmest, most positive possible ratings. U.S. adults gave atheists an average rating of 41, comparable to the rating they gave Muslims, 40, and far colder than the average given to Jews, Catholics, and Evangelical Christians. Okay, fact number nine. About half of Americans, 51%, say they would be less likely to support an atheist candidate for president. Well, that's interesting. I would have thought it would have been much higher than that. In early 2007, similar study was done. 63% of U.S. adults said they'd be less likely to support an atheist. Hey, folks, if you have an atheist running for president, don't vote for them. They don't believe in any higher authority than themselves. That is a recipe for disaster. All right, fact number 10. Um, oh, that's interesting. There's actually an Arizona House member who is a, an atheist. Kirsten Cinema, who is a Democrat. Oh, surprising there. All right. Tenth fact about atheists, about half of Americans, 53%, say it's not necessary to believe in God to be moral, while 45% say belief in God is necessary to have good values. Well, you know what? You are your own final authority if you don't believe in a God. And so I guess if you feel like being good to others, you be good to others. Otherwise, what's the motivation? So anyway... um, that those are just some interesting facts about atheism and uh, and really a good introduction to what we're going to be looking at in the Word of God, because the Bible recognizes that there will be those throughout time that don't believe in a God and calls them foolish, or it calls them a fool, says that they are a fool. But Psalm ninety-two and verses four through eight say this: For Thou, O Lord, hast made me glad through the any through Thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. 
When a wicked spring as the grass and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall it is that they, that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. There's a certain brutish man that doesn't know that God exists. They have excluded God in their life and in their morality. And they will argue all day long that they haven't done this. But what they have done is by removing that theistic authority and guidance from over their life, they have exposed themselves as their own little potentates to where they can determine what is right and what is wrong. Reason, science will give me the answer to every question in life. And in doing so, they've created a God in their own image. As we know, that breaks one of the Ten Commandments. But uh, they do it in order to not have to be uh, responsible to any sort of authority. Psalm chapter 10 and verses 1 through 18. This is a pretty lengthy passage, but we're going to comment down through this. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. And here are the three, four, four key verses right here with what we're talking about tonight. The wicked, in verse 4, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. A quick note, most of the atheists that I have talked to have been very prideful and have, been, uh, have believed that they are more intelligent than those around them. Verse 5, his ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for his, all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved for I shall never be in adversity. So they're not going to change because they don't believe that they're ever going to be in any trouble because reason is the answer for it all. Verse 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. And we're not going to read the entire passage, but um, the fact is that there are certain representations that can be made with regard to atheists that are common. And so that gives us a common list of questions that they ask and challenges that they make toward theism. They say that uh, believing in a God is a bad thing, and that they, while they may not dislike Christians or Jews or Muslims, they are trying to free people to be free thinkers and to show that reason is the most important thing in this universe. I ran across a Ray Comfort book a, a while back, and also previewed a movie that he is putting out um, with regard to atheism, which are very good. Now, the book is called Jaws Without Teeth, and the movie is called The Atheist Delusion. Watch for it on YouTube sometime in the next couple of weeks. But in this, he answers questions and exposes atheists for what they are. He uses the Ten Commandments to go at atheists and show them they have violated God's law. And it's interesting to watch this video he has put out because it shows the change from somebody who is ardently saying, I don't believe in God, to someone who recognizes that he has violated God's law and that he is in trouble of hell. It's a fascinating video, and you've got to get it. It's called The 
atheist delusion, and it should be free here in a couple of weeks or maybe a week or two on YouTube. But in the back of his book that was included with this video that um, I was able to get a hold of is a, uh, a list of questions. Now, this is out of the book, Jaws Without Teeth. These are a quick questions that are asked by atheists, and there are just hundreds of them. I can't, there's no way I'm going to read them all. I'm going to pick a few here just to show you kind of what the nature of the atheist is in asking uh, uh, these questions. And because lately I've been having to deal online with some atheists who have uh, challenged me on my faith, which is fine. Come challenge me on my faith. That's great. I love it. I think that it can stand because I believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that everything that God has told us in His Word is true. I can take an honest examination of my faith from your perspective. So here are some of these questions. If your God was so great, I would see no reason why he would need to force people to submit to him and worship. This is the answer that's given in this book. We are free to be unthankful for our eyesight, hearing, food, sunlight, and all the pleasures he has lavished unto us. But if we die in our sins, we will get, in, we will get justice. That's why we need a Savior. When he opens our eyes through the new birth, worship comes as easily as songs do to an early morning songbird. Here's another one. Did the American Native Indians credit their conscience to your Jesus? Not until they heard the gospel. They knew that there was a great spirit who made all things, and the gospel put a name to him. Here's another one. If I were God, I'd hate to have you people speaking on my behalf. <laughs> I really like Ray Comfort's answer to this one. He says, we do our best but we are fully aware that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1.21, he chose the weak vessels of human beings to take the message of everlasting life to weak and dying human beings. Now, looking at the way that he addresses the atheist is very instructive for us. Those of us who uh, know some people who are skeptics, um, those of us who maybe have friends and those that we have acquainted ourselves with who don't believe in God. The way he approaches it is this. Since the evidence for God is so obvious in this world, these people then must be under a delusion, and it does us no good to try to bring ourselves to their level. Instead, we should point out to them their faulty reasoning before God. It's a fascinating way to look at it. It's an, it's an incredible perspective to have on it, to bring them to the fact that they have violated God's law and that they are not going to be held guiltless for doing so. And what it does is it strikes straight to the heart of the atheist argument. They will throw out all sorts of questions. But you know what? They'll never allow their own faith to be examined. Say, well, what faith does an atheist have? Well, they have faith that there is no God. <laughs> Say, well, that's a, that's, you can't prove a negative. One thing atheists will always try to do is they'll always try to structure the argument into, uh, in a way that they are on the side of asking the questions and never on the side of answering the questions. Um, here are a couple of more that are um, put in this uh, Put in this. I'm just going to kind of read a few of them here at random. Why don't we know, or we don't know how we came here, but let's study and try to find out and not give a simple answer like God. The answer he gives to this one is atheists don't like God being the answer to that question. That's like saying we don't know what two plus two adds up to, 
So let's not give a simple answer like four. (laughs) I I really enjoy this. Anyway, this book is called uh, Jaws Without Teeth, and it's available in the e-reader version, and I've just been getting a, a serious kick out of it. Here's a statement that's often made by scientists, or by scientists, often made by atheists. Creation of, creationism is anti-science. And he answers, no, creationism can be observed. Genesis says every animal has male and female and brings forth after its own kind. See Genesis 1. Faith isn't necessary when it comes to what the Bible says about these things, because this is observable in the existing creation and in the fossil record. Here's one thing I want you to understand, folks, that as Christians, as born-again believers who have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are not at a disadvantage to those that don't believe in God. We are not at a disadvantage to scientists. We have all the advantage in the world with regard to proving God exists. Well, that would be like saying to a uh, fish, prove water exists. (laughs) It would be the same exact thing. And uh, because, you know, a fish is immersed in it. Well, we're immersed in God's creation. It's not up to us to have to prove how, uh, or prove that there was a God who created everything because the creation is here. It's up to them to prove how everything came from nothing. And that's, that's what it boils down to. Sometimes you, you have to work really hard to get the atheist to go back to that original thing. Okay, well, what came before the... Uh, you know, what came before the apes, what came before the the fish, what came before the multi, multi-cell organisms, you know, single-cell amino acids, going back, uh, you know, all the way back to primordial soup, and even before that to the Big Bang. Well, what came before that? Well, we don't know. Well, so then what you've told me is that what you believe about the universe is based on faith, because you haven't observed it. In fact, you haven't observed uh, evolution. There's not been any evolution that has been observed. It's not science if it's not observed. You say, well, but we've used evolution to base a bunch of technology on. Well, the fact is that Plato said that everything revolves around the Earth. And you know what? The, uh, the people that were sailing the seas many years ago, they used that information to find out where they were at so they could sail from, you know, uh, Spain to Italy by using the stars because they were using what uh, what the ancient philosophers said the universe was going on in the universe, but the fact is they were completely wrong. So sometimes we get it completely wrong and we, are, we can base technology on it anyway. Yeah, that's one example of that. These folks are wrong. The fact is you got creation all around you. You don't need any proof that there's God. Put the onus of proof upon them to prove that something can come from nothing. They just don't have that. So ultimately, who's the fool? The one who has faith in God or the one who has faith in nothing? That's my question for you tonight. All right, folks, stay tuned. we got a lot more coming up on this radio station. And uh, enjoy. It was good good to be with you this evening. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be with you on next Monday on the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. This is the Covenanters Call radio broadcast. Pastor Mike will be back next week. Lord bless you all and have a great night.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
Okay, in theory, I could hear you if you said anything right now. Okay, I'm on. Frank, you're telling me I'm on, but I don't hear anybody. Is well, that true? I, I'm here. Do you hear Someone me? Someone say, say something to me where I actually thought Hello? I was not speaking to myself. Do you hear me? <clears throat> Do you hear me? Well, okay, I'm on, apparently, so uh, I don't hear anything from anybody else. I don't know if someone... Oh, my God. I don't understand what's going on with this. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. American Voice 
Space Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom
I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at natureslogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the www.thepowerherbs.com. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere 
with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. 
aging out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. 
Okay, folks, I believe I'm on the air finally. All right, we've had a technical screw-up, and I understand what it is. I, Frank said reboot the computer, and I turned it, or I said I moved the computer to reboot the, to reboot the computer, and it said it, Microsoft had uploaded some sort of an update for the computer right at Right at 8 o'clock, right when I was supposed to start this program, Microsoft up, loaded an update, and the sound system wouldn't work for me. All right, And when I said, okay, we're going to reboot, that's when I got the word that it had been, that they had updated the program, and we are now in deep doo-doo. Here we are, what, 24 minutes into the program, and it took us that long to figure out what was going on. And no matter what I did is I hooked up by another computer. I set a second computer on this, and that seems to be solving the problem. Um, I want to give my disclaimer as usual. I don't know. Frank was saying he might give the disclaimer at the beginning, at the very beginning when we were supposed to start. But I'm going to tell people, first, I'm a man made in God's image, as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as per what is commonly called the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I'm acting at arm's length. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union style, the United States of America, and uh, I'm not acting as surety or fiduciary for any entity called or you doing business under the name United States. Now, I'm guessing and hoping that our guest, Deborah Swan, is here. Deborah, are you there? Hi, Al. Yes, I am. Yeah, sorry for all the trouble. I had no idea. I was just talking to you a minute before we were supposed to go on the air, and then everything just blew up, and it was Microsoft. I thought, what the heck is happening here? Couldn't figure it out. And they give you no notice at the time. They just update the computer. Well, in any case, that's that's my sad story. Are you telling Um, me, Al, are you telling me Microsoft's muscling in on my blame? Yeah, I am. It's, it was really an amazing situation. Something happened at this end, and it had to do with Microsoft rather than uh, rather than Frank. That's unusual. We blame we blame Frank for everything that goes wrong. Deborah, this is Frank Stefan. Frank, say hi to Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Frank. How are and, you? Now, Deborah has been in an unusual situation where she started out trying to help somebody, and one thing led to another, and she's been tangled up in a defamation suit, and I'm not even sure if it's only defamation, but if I understand correctly, it's primarily a defamation suit with the U.S. Observer. Am I correct? That is correct. Yep. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us how you, how you stumbled into this, first off? <laughs> it is not an easy thing, as you know, to explain. <laughs> but, um, Frank, are you familiar with the U.S. Observer out there in Oregon? Actually, I I'm, I am. I was familiar with them back when they were the Oregon Observer, and I've uh, yes, they've been many names. They've been the Oregon Observer, the Guardian Press, I believe, Foundation, I and miss, then I the um, yeah, now the U.S. Observer. So yeah, and uh, I have actually uh, been to meetings and met Ed Snook, and you know, years ago I haven't seen him in a long time, but I have uh, met him at certain meetings. You know, he was. Uh, I don't know exactly where, but in this area, southern Oregon. All right, How about well, his son? Have you met his son, Joseph Snook? Uh, no, I haven't. He works. I okay. haven't. This was, 
this was 15 years ago. When wow, I, he's uh, been around that long, huh? He has. He really has. But like I said, back then it was just the Oregon Observer, and uh, you know, I I miss that whole other name, the Guardian. I I didn't even I missed that one. I knew U.S. Observer, but I I I missed that incantation. All right. Well, and how how, how um, popular is he in Oregon? I'm just kind of curious. Well, uh, you know, like always, there's there's different people with different opinions, but uh, uh, one of the one of the should I say uh, common things that I heard, you know, because everybody's got little different personality things they don't like about people, and I don't I don't really concern myself with that. Uh, but the one common thing was that. It seemed, though, the Oregon Observer would take money from people to run investigations and then really either not run the investigation or not come up with anything when, you know, it seemed as though they should. And that was really the only... I didn't... I'm no expert on, on them, but, you know, just from being around and going to different meetings and meeting different people, that was one of the... That was one of the common threads that kept popping up, uh, you know, minus the personality conflicts people would have, uh, you know, which were quite a few. But you know, I don't, I don't really care about personality conflicts. <laughs> well, you'll well, never I... make it selling gossip, then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found the U.S. Observer myself by um, by searching for some help for a man by the name of Sergeant Charles Dyer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was a um, active military, a Marine out of Oklahoma. And he got kind of, um, well, he got very popular around 2009. And he started speaking out. He's one of the founders of Oath Keepers, the original beginning of Oath Keepers uh, with Stuart Rhodes. Are you familiar with who Stuart Rhodes is? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's how I started, and I was searching on the Internet one afternoon trying to find um, a way to help Charles because we had the proof of his innocence. And then I came across their website, the U.S. Observer website, and it sold me instantly because they claim to expose government corruption. They, they claim to have enough power with their newspaper to uh, – their quotes, I think, is to shove justice right down their throats, <laughs> you know. So um, when I found this website, I was very excited, but he needed a $10,000 retainer to take the case. So that was a big problem. And he claims that he has actually vindicated 4,600 people in 20 years. That's astonishing because you divide yeah. 4,600 by 20, and you're talking about basically one for, if I'm doing the math correctly in my head, and I might not, but divide 4,600 by 20, and you get uh, 460 uh, million, 230 per million. year. 200, 200, no, 230 vindications per year, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm working this right. <laughs> that's, that's basically one a day. Yep. At ten thousand dollars, at ten thousand dollars a case, so that's quite a bit of money. Yeah, it's it's. I I I 
you can't believe those numbers. It may be that there's a misunderstanding or whatever, but those no. numbers can't be accurate. You know, it depends how there's you, just no way. It depends how you define vindicated, too. I mean, if I write an article and say, "Well, Al is vindicated," and there you go, he's vindicated. I add him to And list. by that, you mean he could actually find ten thousand dollars to send you? Is that how you define vindication? <laughs> well, if the check clears, you're vindicated. Says. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Snook actually says, though, on his, well, he used to say it, I believe, since this lawsuit has been going on, he actually removed it. But I do have a copy of the screenshot. But he actually has a 100% money-back guarantee if total vindication is not achieved. And so when I saw that money-back guarantee, I was like, this is it. I, we've got to get these guys on board. We don't want an attorney. You know, my friend was being railroaded and was railroaded through Oklahoma. Um, the FBI was involved. We had mainstream media involved. We had a nationwide manhunt that started. I mean, a lot of really outrageous things were going on. And so when I needed Ed Snook, I looked at him as the solution. And I was very excited when finally another active military guy who was deployed in Afghanistan actually contacted me post-conviction. And he'd been following the Charles Dyer um, story all the way through. And he wanted to find out what we could do to help him post-conviction. And so the first thing I said was, you know what, we need to hire the U.S. Observer. And sure enough, the guy two days later paid the, paid the money. And before I knew it, Ed Snook was calling me. And, and we were working together. So that's how the whole thing kind of started. And it's led into, wow. oh, gosh, where should I even start? Al, help me out here. <laughs> you know, where should I start? There's so well, much. Eventually, not even eventually, there is quickly a falling out. If I understand correctly, I've talked to you about this in the past. If I yeah. had the story halfway straight in my mind, it was just a matter of weeks or at least a couple of months before Mr. Snook said he couldn't work with you and he was canceling the contract, the alleged agreement, and he was keeping the money. Exactly. Well, this is how that happened. You're right. Like not even two weeks after, um, you know, we were working together and this was the actual legal arrangement. It was, I was the contract. I signed the contract. So I was the liaison between my friend who donated the money, who was deployed in Afghanistan. I was the liaison between him and Edward Snook. So my friend, the military guy, his name's Chris Mortensen, he paid $5,000 down. And during that first week, Ed Snook told me that before he takes any case on, especially one about a possible um, abuse of a child, which is what these allegations are, um, he wanted to make sure that the person was really actually innocent. So myself and my friend's mother, Janet Dyer, we started sending Ed Snook all the proof, DNA forensic evidence to show that he was innocent. I mean, everything about his case. And so within a week after that, um, like two weeks later, Ed Snook contacts me and tells me that he's gone through all of my evidence and they had determined that, um, that Charles Dyer was innocent and now it's time for them to go to Oklahoma. So during that two weeks, though, I had, there's been a group of people around Charles' uh, support that are not good people, and they had been destroying, it's a, another chapter of the story, but they had been destroying any kind of support that I tried to bring in. So I gave Ed Snook a warning, letting him know that there would be some people that are going to try to destroy this help that came in for Charles. And sure enough, within you know, days after Ed Snook was on the case, these same people started to publicly accuse me of stealing money, taking the U.S. Observer money, and all kinds of just outrageous lies. So Ed Snook knew that these were lies, okay? 
So what he did at that point is he saw an opportunity, obviously, to work the other the other side of the situation with uh, Charles's support team against me, and he actually went to the mother of Charles Dyer and told her that I had wasted the first money that was paid and that in order for him to go forward, she would have to pay another $10,000. And so that's exactly what she did. She paid him another $10,000, and I was unaware at the time what was going on. So within the You're following You're saying week, that Snook collected $20,000 to investigate yes. and, and, in theory, vindicate Charles Dyer. Well, the agreement was, this was the agreement between myself and Edward Snook, that he was to take my evidence, because I had been collecting a lot of really, really good evidence to, um, to expose this, you know, the false prosecution. And when I say evidence, I'm talking about recorded phone conversations with the FBI. I, have, I had proof of a recorded conversation with the sheriff, with the prosecutor, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, the district attorney's office. I mean, really, really good evidence. And so I assumed at the time, and I thought that Ed Snook would take this evidence and do what he claims that he can do, which is when there's someone being um, convicted of a crime they did not do, Ed Snook claims he can go to that first, that department, usually the district attorney's office, and shove the, the proof of the innocence in front of the judge or the prosecutor. And the threat of his newspaper, he claims, is powerful enough to make these district attorneys and judges drop the false conviction. That's what he claims he can do. So that's what he was supposed to do. And in, instead, did he claim that in writing? Did he claim that in writing, oh, or was oh, that yeah. just a verbal promise? Oh, it's on his okay. website. It's everywhere. Okay. Yeah, and and the conversation that he and I had, and I I recorded the conversation. Thank God, I recorded the one conversation that he and I had. It was a very positive conversation. And 18 times during this conversation, Ed Snook complimented me, told me my evidence was good enough to get Charles free that they were impressed with me. I mean, all this great, you know, feedback from him. So I thought he was legitimate. Well, ends up he played the mother against me, got another exactly, not 20000 it was $19,500, just to be exact. And then he drops me from the contract, and he ends up working against me. And to this day, we are, we're in a legal battle because of all this, because he actually has published... Three articles total about me now because um, because the conversation that I had with Ed Snook, I put it on YouTube to expose him because of the false slander he was saying about me to the family of my friend. And it's been one hell of a situation ever since. So he got caught at nope. his game. Go ahead. No good deed goes unpunished, apparently. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. And so this man, um, he has a lot of, it looks like he has a lot of pull anyway to where I'm coming from. Because he was able to uh, to contact the Department of Justice out of Oregon. I mean, he's really done everything he can. He's contacted the FBI. He's contacted the um, the Better Business Bureau. Like all these really, you know, pretty pretty big departments. Isn't and has it a little bit me. strange that when we when you say he has a lot of pull now he yeah. he has made a statement. If I understand correctly, he's made a statement that he would cause you. He would contact the FBI. People yep. he apparently knew in the FBI to cause you to be arrested or jailed or something. Is that true? That's correct. Yeah, he has. Um, now, let me ask Ed, you this. Yeah. If his modus operandi is to go out and intimidate people to prosecutors and judges and whatever, why? how would he maintain a positive relationship with people in the FBI? 
Well, if they know, know him that... to be the kind of guy who 4,600 times <laughs> yeah. has, has caused people who were convicted to be vindicated, vindicated, then he's got to be a serious adversary to the government. They've got to say, cool, what don't, whatever you do, don't mess with this guy. How is it that he has people in the FBI or other government agencies where he has a positive relationship? That's a very good question, and all I can, how I answer that question is all I know is that the FBI agents that were involved in Charles Dyer's state felony case, okay, this is a very important detail, these same FBI agents that offered Charles Dyer a deal to make all these charges go away if he would um, agree to work for the FBI undercover and infiltrate the Patriot Tea Party militia community for two years, they'd make all these charges go away and he'd walk out of jail. So these are the same two agents now, that... this is something... You brought this up in the beginning, but we didn't really expand on it. Yeah. The implication is that you believe the government, the FBI, whatever, came after Dyer with false charges because yeah. he had become an effective speaker at Patriot meetings, that he was attracting attention, he was inspiring people to take a uh, more critical view of the government. Is that roughly yes, correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, Schaefer Cox is another um, example of the same type of um, influence that's positive influence, in, you know, my opinion, that um, can move people. Charles Dyer is a very gifted speaker. You can just Google his name on YouTube, either Charles Dyer or July 4 Patriots, his handle. And you'll see he has a very, very big following. A lot of people like, look up to him and were inspired by his ability to speak. And he was also active military. And so even Charles has said in many letters he's written to the public, he's written to Oath Keepers, he's written throughout this, you know, incarceration. He actually even says himself that he knows he was targeted by, the, by a sting operation by the FBI. So for, um, for, for uh, Ed Snook to now, during this whole time, take my evidence of the corruption that proves that the FBI did target Charles Dyer and, and they launched a nationwide manhunt, that just doesn't happen. I mean, this was insane. And so this is the same agent that Ed They launched a nationwide manhunt for what reason? Yes. What because was the he, reason for the manhunt? Because he did not show up to his fourth trial, which was a state felony trial, not a, not a federal, a state. So he just didn't go to court, which usually, when, when somebody doesn't show up for a criminal trial, eventually they'll find you. But they never launch a nationwide manhunt. It just doesn't happen. There were 200 law enforcement offices involved. They had digital billboards from Canada to Mexico. He was all over the mainstream media. Um, he was, you know, FBI most wanted on the top 10 list. I mean, you can just go to the FBI website and search Charles Dyer, and you'll see all the FBI involvement in Charles's case. It was very, very insane. And so that's when and what I actually you're saying that it you're saying that it was at least strange and it was, unusual it was that insane. the FBI would have taken so much interest. And yes. what may be just a state case. It was a state case. And they tried to use the federal, they tried to say that the reason why they were involved is because, well, they were saying, actually, they were during the time before Charles's trial, the fourth trial now, there's been three previous trials, the uh, mainstream media was profiling him as a domestic terrorist. They were putting up Timothy McVeigh's picture next to Charles's picture on the, on the news, calling him a domestic terrorist, a child rapist part of the Oath Keepers militia, you know, really making him out to be someone dangerous. So when he didn't show up for his, his court date, we never thought that there was going to be anything like that happen. You know, if I would have known 
and Charles would have known that there was going to be an FBI nationwide manhunt with armed SWAT teams busting in people's homes. And, you know, we never would have, I never would have taken him anywhere. But at that time, a lot of stuff was going now, on. Now, what you're saying, taking him anywhere, what you're saying is that when the, nation, when the nationwide manhunt was on, yeah. you were driving the vehicle that was right. transporting Charles. Right, and I can. And they weren't just looking for Charles; they were looking for you. Right, exactly. They were, and I didn't realize it was going to escalate into that kind of insanity. But that's that's what happened. And so during this, you know, twelve twelve day manhunt, um, they listed my my vehicle on a nationwide. It's called a Bolo. It's called a Be on Lookout list. And the news was giving the description of my car, and they were saying we had bombs and explosives inside. I mean, total insanity, complete fabricated lies just making him look like a terrorist. And so at that point, I had dropped Charles off where we thought was safe, and I left him there, and I went to Florida. And that's when the insanity started. And during this 12-day manhunt, I have, you know, FBI calling me, and so every phone call, I recorded it just because I wanted to have the evidence. And so um, they raided the home that I was out there in Dustin, Florida, at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got ransacked by 30, 30 armed SWAT team um, without a warrant. There was no warrant for this kind of, you know, um, raid. And so I have a lot of proof of this stuff. And so I'm sitting on all this evidence that the FBI has done to me and the mainstream media is profiling him and me as we're, you know, dangerous terrorists on the loose. So um, I called Ed Snook during one of the times I had been surrounded by the feds and the, um, the local sheriff. They, I locked myself in the car and I called Ed Snook for help. So these are really important details to see how, how much I believe the U.S. Observer was there to help. He acted like he was going to help me. He was fully informed and fully aware that everything I'm saying is absolutely the truth. I mean, anyone can Google on Google and just punch Charles Dyer's name, say nationwide manhunt, and you'll see all the proof of this stuff all over the place to verify what I'm saying is true. And so um, Ed Snook knew that, uh, that I needed help. And so he still told me I had to have $10,000 for a down payment. And so um, I was actually going to sell my vehicle and, and use that for the, um, to pay him to come on board to help um, because my life was in danger. Charles' life was in danger. It was insane. So um, the, the manhunt ended like two days after I spoke with Ed Snook. And so then everything calmed down to a certain extent. Do you mean that the manhunt ended after they yeah arrested you or the manhunt no. ended after they found Charles Dyer back in Texas, if I understand. I was right. never arrested. Thank God. I never okay. got out of my vehicle. If I would have gone out of my vehicle, they would have, they most likely would have snatched me up, but I locked myself literally in the car and I, I, I knew they didn't have a warrant. There was no warrant. And so I never got out of the car. And so this happened many times during uh, this 12 days, this insanity. So that really changed my life. If you could imagine how insane it was, um, it was crazy. And so they got him back in custody. Charles was in custody, and then everything calmed down. And that's when his next trial, his fourth trial then was coming up. He got convicted. And now, post-conviction, that's when another uh, military uh, member had been watching all these events happen. And he contacted me to offer help with Charles post-conviction. And then that's when I said, we need to hire the U.S. Observer. I've got, okay, so, I've so got a question. So you've been in contact or you've been aware of the U.S. Observer for several months, apparently, before you actually contacted him. Yes. That, I, kept I mean, you called him for help and he said, I need 10 grand. Um, right. I'm guessing that was your first contact. It was a couple of more months, at least, before 
Wait a minute, well, a year? Contact, How long after the... the first contact was in May when me and Charles actually called together. He actually talked to Charles as well. The very, very first time we called Ed Snook. And so that's when he said, you know, we need $10,000. And so at that point, the reason why we called Ed, and I thought he might take it, is because we had the actual proof of Charles' innocence of the forensic DNA evidence that shows he didn't rape anybody. There was no proof, physical proof or DNA proof of these alleged, you know, uh, rape scenes, the alleged locations where he was accused of raping his seven-year-old These daughter. allegations were made by his wife or ex-wife. Yes. True? Yes. That's true, yep. Okay. And, and uh, made, they involved his daughter who said nothing had happened, um, if I understand mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah. So it may be this was face. It may be that this was false allegations to begin with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they they originally when they actually searched Charles's um, home for supposable DNA evidence, they also found a stolen grenade launcher that was in Charles's possession, but he did not know it was stolen. And this was given to him by a, um, a militia group out out of California when he was on his tour doing his public speeches for the Oath Keepers about reaffirming their oaths. You know all that you know, the uh, speeches he was giving all around the place. And so he was given this grenade launcher as a gift, and he was, you know, he's very impressionable, kind of naive to what's going on, and so he accepted it. And he took it home, and he has, he has a special kind of um, gun licensing to have that kind of weapon in his possession due to his military training. So he was legally allowed to have that kind of grenade launcher, but he was not told it was stolen. So um, that was a setup. And so that's when they originally started uh, to investigate him. He actually beat those charges against the FBI. I, I, the I've, got a, I, I've got a question. Yeah. Uh, what group was that that gave him that stolen grenade? Very good question. You know, it's out of California. Um, I believe it was connected to the American Resistance Movement. Are you familiar with who they are? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but not particularly, no. Yeah. It's just um, I wanted really to know knows. so people could get an idea of who to stay away from. Well, because stay that's away certainly... from the well, the well-regulated American militia. That is, that's the big outfit that is like the umbrella organization over all the, the militia groups across the country. The American Resistance Movement was part of that umbrella organization. So this is like a very, very large network of what I know is a fact of different individuals in each state that are part of this umbrella that, you know, that lure people in, they join their little online groups, you know, they collect names, and they eventually try to set people up. And so that's what happened with Charles. He was, uh, you know, he was given this grenade launcher, and they searched his home for it, and, of course, they don't find anything else. The search warrant had on there, um, you know, bombs and explosives and grenades and all kinds of stuff that, of course, he had nothing like that in his possession. Um, so he ended up beating the federal charge, and then the state charge had the sexual abuse, um, you know, allegations against him. So they had two things he was fighting at the same time. They thought right, they were going to And you stepped in to try to exonerate this guy. Well, we could have right, exonerated Your main, your main, I mean, this is, you are not a defendant in any of this. No, You're just no. somebody who can say, hey, this guy's being railroaded, and I think I need to help him. Well, yeah, because when I, I had been following Charles Dyer for a, a kind of a, the same kind of situation was, um, was happening to me about being targeted. So when I found out who the players were in my situation um, through the well-regulated American militia, like I said, in the American resistance movement, um, I saw the same individuals starting to flock around Charles's name. 
And so when I, um, I started following his case, and when I saw he got his first trial was, um, was actually a guilty verdict. And then one, one jury member changed their vote, and so it swung it into a mistrial. So at that point, I was pretty shocked. I'm like, why would he be almost convicted if he's innocent? And so I was actually, I went to Oklahoma for family research, and I actually met Charles in person. And I asked him straight up, I'm like, are you guilty? And so we sat down, we had a long talk, and he actually showed me the proof of his innocence, and he showed me the original paperwork of the forensic um, investigation done by the OSBI in Oklahoma that clearly shows... Why wasn't this evidence introduced into the trial? Well, that's what's interesting, because during the first trial, the evidence was um, presented to the jury as if the prosecutor, I mean, outright lied. I mean, the very closing statement, the prosecutor looked at the jury and told the jury that she has the proof of Charles Dyer's DNA being found with the child's DNA. And then his attorney never stood up and objected to that false statement. And there was no expert witness during the trial. He didn't show up to explain this DNA report and break it down to where a normal person could understand it. Well, um, technically, so let me see if I understand this correctly. Yeah. Because I've talked to you before about this. Yeah. What I, the, my understanding is that DNA was found, but it wasn't, it wasn't from semen. Right. It was the kind of DNA, if I pick up my daughter, I'm going to leave some skin particles from my own hand on her, on the clothes, whatever. And that was the kind of DNA that they had apparently found, but it was not seminal. It was not seminal. True. Exactly. You got it. That's exactly right. They they manipulated the truth, and the prosecutor presented a false, um, you know, evidence to the jury. And I mean, she didn't really say she didn't say that it was you know the truth about it. It was like just like you said, it was skin DNA, and it was yeah. not the sperm DNA. So they were under the false impression. Now this is interesting because. Every parent in the world is probably leaving skin DNA on their children. And your pets are, If you're going to touch you know, your children, if you're going to pick them up, you're going to play with them, you're going to sit there and hold them, you're going to probably leave some of your own DNA on them. You and what absolutely. the prosecutor apparently did in this situation, they knew or should have known that, look, this is, this is no more evidence of guilt than you can find my DNA on somebody I shook hands with. You're exactly right, and that's the, that was the bombshell statement that got him almost convicted because the jury heard that, and they gave him a guilty verdict. But then all of a sudden, divine intervention or something happened, and one jury member changed their vote. And let me remind you, all this stuff that I'm sharing with you right now was given when I hired Ed Snook. These are the types of evidence that was given to him to expose and to use to help, you know, supposedly vindicate, like he says he can do, Charles Dyer. And so this is, you know, many, many events happen like this. And, and when I learned about this from Charles, when I saw the actual DNA report, and it, sure enough, it says on there, not for public disclosure. It was a, only for the internal, internal um, report within the Department of the OSBI and the Prosecution Office. So here's a really concerning fact, is when there's an investigation done by the prosecutor's office, and they have, they order a forensic report to be done, an investigation on, on this one, it was, you know, DNA. When the results come in the favor of the accused, they, they, take that, they take that evidence and they stuff it. They do not present it to the accused and they continue prosecuting. And so right there we have a major violation because the prosecutor, the OSBI, all these people knew that the actual report says does not 
it, hang on, it says um, Charles Dyer's DNA does not match. I mean, in every section of this report, it says does not match. And you can go online and read this, you know, report yourself. You know, so that, my, that another point about that exculpatory evidence that they exactly, withhold yeah. is, you know, his own lawyer is supposed to know these things. You know, uh, yep. I would say that he got ineffective counsel. Um, absolutely. He got many things, you know, so... So that's when, you know, the, the attorney told Charles during the very ending of this trial, and the, the attorney never objected the entire hearing, which is very, it's very normal in criminal, uh, you know, cases like this, because when an attorney stands up and says objection, that gives a possible appeal that preserves the record for, your, for an appeal if the objection is not ruled on correctly by the judge. So that's why these criminal defense attorneys, when they represent someone and the person does not accept a plea deal and they actually go to trial, that's why these uh, defense attorneys never object because they know it'll make the judge angry, which it shouldn't matter. But, you know, they're working in front of the same judge all the time. So they keep their mouth shut and, and they, ride, they ride it through. And then it, it completely destroys any chance for a good appeal because without an objection, that's actually said on the record, then the higher courts have nothing to correct from the lower court if you appeal it. And so that's let's, why they never object. Let's digress here for just a moment and yeah. tell people what is your what what is the extent of your legal training? Because you sound like I mean a lot of people are gonna suppose you sound like a licensed attorney, right? Well, I'm not a licensed attorney, and everything I say, let me just make sure I'm okay, because I actually have a, a situation to where the, Ed Snook and his attorney are trying to get me on um, a UPL. But I've never, I've never put myself out there as an attorney. I've never claimed to be an attorney. I don't charge anyone. I don't do anything. I learned about this type of um, you legal opinions. This is my opinion and my own personal experience. Absolutely. I'm not claiming to be anything. I don't represent anyone. He was my friend. And um, the more I studied his case as I watched this unfold, because I never heard the word exculpatory evidence. I can barely even pronounce it, you know, until, until I learned from that type of evidence that's critical. Just like Frank said, I mean, exculpatory evidence is um, it's critical. And if you have proof that the district attorney um, withheld that evidence, even though it went against the district attorney's uh, position, because he is a prosecutor and he's prosecuting, but he still has a very important duty, according to the rules of prosecutors, um, his bench, his, uh, his rule book. to see that justice is done. Yes, yes. Even, which means yes, if the absolutely. guy is innocent, he's supposed to actually make sure this guy comes out innocent, or at least the jury, that's what it is. The jury, the jury has a right. They're, they're required to present everything to the jury. So, like I Including said, this the is exculpatory evidence. Absolutely, if there's the type of evidence that's considered a sculpatory evidence is the kind of evidence that could could make a deciding, uh, you know, either shift it from you know guilty or innocent once the jury looks at it. So this is critical. Uh, exculpatory, is, I think, actually applies for showing up that the guy is innocent. I don't well, think it yeah, works I both ways. Either way. I don't think well, it's evidence of guilt, but it is evidence of innocence, and it's it probably evidence way. of innocence it's, that's been accumulated by the prosecution. Right, and so and but what I learned. Exculpatory? Do they reveal it or not? Yeah. Exactly, and so that's for the jury to decide. You're absolutely right, and so that's under Maryland versus Brady is the case law that um, that supports this position on on that kind of evidence. So again, so this kind of evidence. So how did you become so affluent in the language of legalese? And how long has it studying? taken you? 
Well, I've been, I, I've been, I mean, I, I never uh, had an interest in law, I, you know, at all until I started learning because I knew my friend was being railroaded. And I thought it would be so easy to get this evidence because I saw the proof. I mean, when I had lunch with Charles, he showed me his DNA report and I sat there and I looked at it. I had no, no um, information on, on evidence rules or anything. But I'm sitting there looking at this report. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so good. Why hasn't this been shown to the jury? Well, then he tells me, he says, well, he has a gag order that's been put on him. I'm like, what's a yeah. gag order? And he's like, well, the judge issued a gag order on Charles. So Charles then was not legally allowed to speak about any involvement of his case, nothing that went on during the first trial. The entire time he was waiting for his upcoming trial, he was ordered not to speak publicly. So he could not say anything. And so this report was hidden. And so I'm sitting there and I see a gag order and I see the DNA. I'm like, well, shoot, this is, some, this is a really critical. Why don't you just give it to me and let me put it on the Internet? And so he's like, well, if you want to do it, go for it. And so that's how I got involved. And so when I put it out there, I, you know, I wanted to understand what kind of evidence this was. And so that was really the first time I, I ever opened up any kind of legal, you know, a rule book. And we're talking on, about, like, what, 12, 24 months ago, something like that? Oh, how no, this is back. Studying? 2011, from 2011 okay, to Okay, you've been 2000. at this now for five years now. Well, it's, it's kind of shifted from different phases. <laughs> you know, first it was criminal law I was helping and learning about. Um, I never gave any legal advice or anything like that. I was just learning for my own self so I could help, try to help anyway, um, pay attention to what these attorneys are required to do for their clients. And um, there's so many things that are out there. I mean, we have a really, really good system, as you know, we really do. But unfortunately, it's been hijacked by these attorneys that, you know, as we both know, they don't do anything except, you know, hold your hand to the prison cell. So when I learned about this and, and stuff, send and I out learned bills, they're good at writing invoices. Oh, it's, and the case that I'm in right now with with Edward Snook, um, it's outrageous how expensive it is, and I'm indigent because of this entire situation. I have been, I can't get a job, um, and so. I'm on indigent status, but right now all the filings in my personal case I've been having to represent myself in would be like almost $27,000 just in filing. $27,000 in filing. Just in filing. Yep. Exactly right. A lot of money. It's, it's crazy money. And so That's what you would have had to pay if you weren't indigent. As it turns exactly. out, being indigent has worked pretty well for you. The average person well, couldn't afford to pay. The average person who had tried to appear pro se or even looked for an effective defense, if an attorney had to file as many motions and, and whatever petitions as you have, and he came up with $27,000 as well. Here, Mr. Client, you owe me $27,000 for all this paperwork <laughs> I filed, plus my time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I, I have no idea what the total bill would be, but it seems to me you'd be talking $150,000, $250,000. If you've got $27,000 in filing fees, you're not just the yep. cases didn't cost just $35,000. This has got to be six figures for sure, to my mind. And, and then so if you you've try to done an it. extraordinary job here <laughs> holding this together. I, mean, I that's can't believe I have either. It, well, it's, it's really been a matter of persistence and sufficient intelligence, and I don't know how it all came together for you, but you have given them fits. And well, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to do what the rules ongoing. say. It's because I just follow the rules. I mean, the first thing I did when I, got, um, when I learned about uh, Charles's situation and how he, what's going on with his situation and all the violations by the, by the attorney, but mainly... The judge. I mean, because it all it all goes back to the judge and what he allows and what he rules on, and that's the only way 
to really, and even Ed Snook, like this is the reason why when I found Ed's website, I was so excited because even on his website, he knows what it's required to do to win this kind of stuff when someone's being railroaded. And really, everybody probably is railroaded. I'm not going to say, you know, I know that for a fact, but when my personal situation with Charles and with another friend of mine and now myself, um, they railroad you and they, they don't follow the rule book. And that's, that's what it's all about. And so when you read what the appellate judges are required to do, the only thing appeal judges look at are the errors from the lower court. And so that means during the time you're and in that, the lower court. That doesn't court, mean, it, it, when we say errors from the lower court, you mean errors that were made by the judge. That the not court errors is also made the by judge. the prosecution, not no, errors made the by judge. the defense. The judge, that's their yep. problem. Did the judge right. make an error? This is your this is what you this is what you've learned on this is if the judge made an error, you made somebody made an objection and he overruled it. If his right. overruling was wrong, the appellate court will say do over. Remand. Try well, it again. Only only if only if you preserve the record. And, and I'm not giving legal advice, this is what I've personally learned. No, it's, it's just comments you observe. I mean, people go to court, they look in the they watch trials and the rest of it, they're entitled to express yeah. their opinion on what they think they saw. Well, this is going by what the appellate, I, like I said, the first thing that I did personally when I knew that I had to represent myself and even trying to help learn about Charles's case, I got the Oregon appellate rule book out for civil appeals, and then I read the Oklahoma appellate rule book for criminal appeals. And so now you have an idea of what you need to be doing when you're fighting your case in the district court. And so if you if you're understand and if you're knowledgeable of what the appellate judges are able to correct what errors that they will actually correct and possibly reverse a wrongful conviction, then you have yep. an idea on what you should be preparing for, and so you make sure that you do what and you the object when those circumstances appear. You identify and you become familiar with what the circumstances might be that are grounds for an appeal, right. and you have to make sure that they don't slip past you while you're there in the courtroom. Well, it, right, and then you have to put it in the record. And once, and even when you put it in the record, you have to you have to object objection, and yeah. and you have to object on paper. And then when the judge rules not according to the to the um, to what the law or statute says, then you then you have to take it another step further and do a, like a reconsideration. You have to push it as far as you can. What is what I've learned? It's a proper term exception. Huh. I'm sorry. When you get, if you say I object, judge says overruled. I've seen it in the movies. Yeah, Is it yeah. Proper to say exception, and the judge says exception noted. Does that mean you I've don't never accept? Heard that before. Okay. I've I mean, this is a learning experience for all of us. That, it's a learning. It's a learning experience for me too. I've never heard that one. And when I've objected yeah. on the record in my own personal trial. They want to know what you, you know, know, when you object, at least know why you're objecting. At least have an idea. You just can't say objection. He's going to Oh, you know, I understand. Pause. You have to have something yeah. that you can, I, I get that. Now, yeah. let's, let's move on to the, well, I just want to reiterate what you're saying because this has been a, a point of mine that I try to tell anybody who, you know, tells me that they're interested in, they, they might be taking on a case or doing a case or being in court that, well, look, construct your, court appearances, construct your appeal during your court case. If you have, if you have the mind and if you're, if you're preparing for your appeal the entire time you're arguing your case in the lower court, the yep. district court, criminal yep. or civil, if you're always preparing for an appeal, yep. then you're going to have, you, you very well could actually possibly maybe win it 
in the district court, but when you don't win it, so I'm always preparing personally for myself that I'm, I'm going to lose on district level because they're corrupt. The judges do not like pro se litigants. Um, they do not listen to you. They, they ignore you. They tell you everything you can imagine. I've been told that I'm wrong. I've been told that I'm incompetent. I mean, everything you can imagine. You know, they've done really, really dirty tricks to try to throw me off on the wrong path. And so I just make sure that I'm constantly preparing. Okay, that's fine. I expect them to try to, you know, screw me over. And I don't take it personal. And I just learn what the judge's rules are on how he's required by law to rule on certain, you know, rules of evidence and the rules of, of uh, procedure and things like that. And then if you, when you find the case law, if you can find the actual case law from that same area. I mean, any case law will, will be powerful. But if you can find it from that same county, or the same state, that even makes it more powerful because when you file it into the record, whatever the objection is and you're putting the statute in the code, you're showing the proof of the, of, of the, of the um, law on your side, and then you back it up with case law, and you sh then you show the judge, hey, this is case law that's from your exact court. And if you don't rule according to this case law, then guess what's going to happen? If this goes to an appeal, it's going to be overturned. Now, how, did, so right how, there, did, you, how did you go about you know, making these, making the judge aware that, listen, this is how, you know, this is the case law, this is how, what I'm getting at is, did you, did you submit any things called a judicial notice? Absolutely. Okay, I love judicial notices. <laughs> yeah. And my judge, and, that's a pro se litigant's arsenal. It really is. And but here's one other point about this. You know, People, you mentioned that it would have cost you $27,000 in, in filing fees for all the motions and objections that you've made, that you've right. made. Right? It doesn't count what the other side's made, that you've made. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, how do you explain that, given that this case was taking place or is still taking place in Oregon, and you live down within in the Texas. borders of the state of Texas? Well, see, uh, let, let, let's tell people why the I'm transportation. The average person is going to sit there and say, you know, I, you know, there must have cost you a fortune in bus tickets to get back and forth. <laughs> but it didn't. Did well, they it? have, they have, when, when this started, the whole case with Ed Snook, see, this is what happened with Mr. Edward Snook, okay? Back to what happened with him. Um, I tried to, I contacted him. He, he needed the 10000 It was finally paid. We're working together. He, finds, he sees an opportunity to make more money from the opposing side that I had told him about this, these people. So he played my situation the best he could when he knew that there was no more money to be paid through, uh, through Chris Mortensen, the guy who paid the 10000 He then switched gears, went over to the mother of Charles, worked her against me, got her to pay another 9500 and now I'm left in left field, and I'm trying to get a hold of Snook. He's not answering my phone calls. Um, I called him like maybe three different times, and now my friend Chris contacts me and tells me that he just talked to Ed Snook, and Ed Snook had told him the same thing, that I had wasted the money that he had just paid, and that he's no longer going to work with me. He's going to work with Mrs. Dyer. How did you waste and the money if you gave the <laughs> money to man. Snook? Because he said that I was, he, he lied to Chris and said that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm crazy, I'm paranoid, um, that I would just rant about nonsense, and that... He was no longer going to work with me anymore because I'm basically a lunatic, is what he told Chris. And see, Chris didn't know me at the time. He's all the way in Afghanistan. He just knew me from following the story online, and he contacted me to help Charles. So he almost, Ed Snook almost convinced Chris that I was these things. So he was just like, you know, nobody wants to hear after you just paid $10,000 that, 
that um, that I'm a lunatic and that, you know, he didn't want to believe it, but what else did he have to believe? So I actually told Chris, I'm like, well, wait a second. If they're really saying that about me, Chris, then I think they've gotten compromised. He's like, well, why would you say that? They can't be compromised. I paid him $10,000. I'm like, well, hang on. Before you believe what he says, please do me a favor and listen to this conversation. So I actually sent to, uh, Chris the conversation between myself and Ed Snook. So that conversation, thank God I recorded it, because now he hears a complete opposite from what Ed Snook was telling him. And Ed Snook was not aware that I recorded that conversation. So Ed Snook well, jumped unless you've had some sort of mental health care in the last couple of years, you certainly don't sound like a woman. <laughs> right. Oh, he's no, I mean, that's the everything. truth of the matter. And I, I put that out for the audience. You can listen. You pay attention. Um, Deborah Swan sounds logical, organized. She's been studying. She's been learning. It does not appear she does not present herself as a lunatic. However, exactly. <laughs> however, I think you have plenty of reason to be paranoid. I'm not paranoid. You know, I, I hate that word paranoid because they love to say I'm paranoid. So that, you know, I, I do see what you're saying. I definitely understand that I have gotten myself into a very, very a hornet's nest. It's a hornet's nest. And I believed in the U.S. Observer. And this man has destroyed everything that I stood for. He even destroyed my relationship with Charles Dyer. He destroyed everything. He came in. Um, he came into my situation. Actually, I brought him into these people, and, um, and I, I believed in him. I would have been his best advocate. I mean, seriously. He could have taken Charles's evidence, like I said. I mean, serious evidence and used it and blown this wide open for Charles and been a total hero. I mean, he would have been, a, he would make so much, you know, money in the Patriot community. All these people would, but unfortunately, Snook has destroyed himself because people are not stupid and people can see right through this and he's putting it all on the court record. Well, so, the thing is though, I, 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 I got to doss a little uh, cold water on that idea because Ed Snook's been around a long time. And like I said, you know, I hear things uh, for many, many years. The problem is people do learn. Groups find out about certain people, but you know what? There's one born every day. Yeah. You're right. There's a You're whole right, new group of people, and, and that's where he's harvesting people, and he's not the only one. I mean, they're, you know, they're, this, this is... Uh, this is not a good situation in the well. This, so this is not a good situation, situation for the Patriot community. I'm very concerned because, like I said, I had very, I have, and I do, I do still have very damaging um, evidence to expose the corruption and that this was a direct setup. I mean, I have FBI conversations. Corruption in the Patriot community, corruption in the government, what corruption the, where? All, all the above, all the above, uh, the FBI getting involved in, you know, Patriots, you know, whatever you want to call these people, uh, constitutionalists, uh, setting people up, basically. I mean, directly setting people up. Um, I, just uh, unlawful warrants without, you know, without a proper warrant, well, unlawful uh, searches without warrants. Um, people need to DNA, under, I, People need to I'm understand sorry. how the FBI and the police operate. And oh, they're I understand really not now. Doing any, they're really not doing anything different with the Patriot community than they do with, the, say, the, uh, the drug user community. People get in trouble whether they do something wrong or they're set up. Then, well, they're, then they're facing... Oh, you can go to prison for ten years, or you can do plea bargain for three to five, or you can do right. us, or you can do us a favor. Right. And speaking of which, Charles Dyer's been sentenced to thirty years. He got thirty true? years, thirty years for nothing for a crime he didn't do. The proof we have it, and Ed Snook um, has completely hijacked his mother 
and his mother but is Ed working Snook with... is still involved in Charles Dyer's defense, and he's allegedly well. helping. Is that true <laughs> or false? He says he is, absolutely, because I, when, when this happened to me and this man just drops me, like I said, he, try, he tried to turn Chris against me. He's not talking to me. I find out he's working with Mrs. Dyer. He starts publicly slandering me with the same group of people that are connected to the well-regulated militia, these same people that I've had issues with for uh, three years before I even knew Charles. I see the same people, you know, um, circle around Charles's mother, and they destroyed any kind of support for Charles. They stopped it. So Ed Snook teams up with these people, and I actually gave him a list of these people's names when I told him about these people to warn him. So he goes to my enemies that he knew didn't like me. He knew what they were saying was lies and slander. He played into the lies and slander and tried to get Chris to turn against me and got more money out of it. And so when I gave the conversation to Chris, Chris now realizes, oh, my gosh, well, the only explanation for why Ed Snook would act this way is because something, something's got him compromised. Well, then he, when, he, when Ed Snook went to Oklahoma, he was supposed to go to Oklahoma to do what? To take my evidence that I gave him of the prosecutor, the FBI, the sheriff, all this evidence of their own words. I mean, these are like really, really good pieces of evidence that he could have taken to the prosecutor, like he says he does with other cases, go to the prosecutor's office, play the conversation that I had, a recorded conversation on the phone with this one prosecutor where she literally responds about how she did not tell the truth to the jury about the DNA forensic report. And so he could have easily drafted questions, got her on record, recorded her, gotten feedback from her that she is fully aware that she gave the jury wrong information. So that's like one example that we had I thought he was going to use. So all this evidence he has, he did nothing with any of it, any of this evidence, and he went to, F he went to Oklahoma and he had a meeting with the FBI, but it wasn't about the evidence I had to use against the FBI. It was about me. And so he actually went out there and was trying to find a, find a way to have the FBI to help them have me arrested for recording the FBI, um, recording my phone conversation. What is so his real me. complaint with you? What, he's, what you're telling me, what you're describing suggests that he's trying to make sure you are isolated. He I'm destroyed totally. I mean, trying to remove, trying to separate you from Chris Mortensen, who was the military guy in Afghanistan who sent you $5,000 on behalf of Charles Dyer. Ten. Trying to separate you from a money source indicates right. it can be interpreted. I don't know that this is true, but it can be interpreted that he was trying to isolate you from a, for, from a source of financial support. Uh, and more, more than that, to the FBI, you know, trying to get it, you in trouble with the it, FBI. It seems to me that what he's doing is separating you so he can have access to the people with the money and not have to go through you. And he wanted me to shut well, that, up. He wanted, he wanted me to shut up because I had the proof of him. When you, when you listen to the phone conversation that I had of myself and Ed Snook, that I was forced to make it public. I mean, Ed Snook directly, he contacted me, and the very, like, we, he wouldn't talk to me at first, and I got him finally to answer the phone. The first time I speak with Ed Snook after that really good conversation, after I realize he's trying to turn people against me and he drops me from the contract, all he said to me was, I'm a whacked out bitch, don't call his office anymore, I, there's no contract, and he would slam the phone down. I'm like, what do you mean there's no contract? So I call him back again. I got three phone calls in a row. I recorded them, and he's, he's claiming there's no contract, I'm a whacked out bitch, and slams the phone down. Well, then he finally threatens me the last conversation. He says, if, if I don't stop calling him, he's going to give me a hard time, yada, yada, yada. So at that point, 
the whole public slander and I'm being accused of stealing money, of scamming money from Chris Mortensen, of, of keeping donation money that was supposed to be for the U.S. Observer. I mean, really damaging uh, public slander that's putting a huge wedge between myself and, and Charles's mother and so and Charles even. So at that point, well, I'm sitting there and I had the proof of my conversation. So I put it on YouTube and I sent it out to all the people who were paying attention to Charles's support group and they could hear for themselves the 180-degree flip-flop that Ed Snook did. I mean, the conversation's really, really a positive conversation. But when, um, he, said, when he said there's no contract, yeah. technically he's correct because he never signed the document. Is that true? And he canceled the contract. You signed correct. it, but he never yeah. signed it. <laughs> right. And his contract so is really there is no contract. If there's no contract, what was your obligation to send him $10,000? Is this well, just going to be treated like a gift? You just made a financial well, <laughs> contribution or a gift or something like that? If there's not a if there's not a contract, he didn't sign it. What is right. his rationale for keeping the ten thousand dollars he took? That he can't. That he's still working on the case. That he can cancel the contract for any reason he decides. Yeah, but there was no contract. He didn't sign it. I know. It. Right. How, can you, good contract, how well, can you cancel a contract that doesn't exist? A contract <laughs> requires two or more signatures, I'm all, as I understand it. What, with just a single signature, the most you can say this was a pledge on your part, well, but it wasn't a contract. There was no meeting of the minds, no two signatures. Right. I'm, I'm a little crazy. confused it's, it's about how do we go from a 100% money-back guarantee and a no refund. You know, that's a very well, good unless question. You're, unless you're whacked out. If you're whacked out, then, uh, then, then, oh. then there's no obligation well, to refund. Yeah, this is this is what this is what he's done. Ed Snook now. I mean, when he found out that I put that conversation on on YouTube, and it's a, it really shows. I mean, there's no question. I mean, you hear this man say all these great things. He said everything that I wanted him to hear to tell me, and then I of course gave the green light to Chris to pay the next five thousand dollars because the first five thousand was done, and so we had a, a conversation to do a little update. He let me know what they've done, how much how much positive you know. Um, positive areas of the case, and they're ready to move forward and go to Oklahoma and to deal with these people. So I was under the, the impression that he was going to Oklahoma, like he said, to expose and meet with the FBI, the prosecutor, all these public officials who are responsible for the false conviction. So that's what he was paid to do. And so that's what, I was, that's what he and I discussed on the phone conversation. So now what he's done is since this, this YouTube video I put it publicly, he threatened me immediately, told me if I do not remove that video, He's going to destroy me, and he's going to make sure that I am completely, that I'm arrested by the FBI, and that I am basically, well, not basically, he actually said on a radio show that he was going to make sure that everyone in the world knows what a crazy lunatic I am, and that um, he's going to work and do everything he can to have myself and Chris Mortensen arrested because we're dangerous to society. So this is what he's, he's trying to paint this image that I hinder Now, this is interesting for a man who's taken a case that yeah. is, he said that this case is evidence of government <laughs> yeah. corruption, and now he is participating in that corruption. He's trying to yes, make he sure, is. he's alleging that he's going to make, now, he's not talking about Dyer. He's talking about you and Chris Martinson, that yep. he's going to try to, uh-huh. Wow. But Chris Martinson was responsible for sending him five grand. And, and Chris started, I told Chris, I'm like, look, you need it. If you talk to Ed Snook, just make sure you record every conversation. And Chris is like, you know, Debbie, you know, I don't want to. I'm like, no, you have to record this. This is the only support and the only proof we have. It's us against him now. 
So that's what Chris did, thank God. Every conversation um, Chris had with, uh, with Ed Snook, he, um, he recorded it. And Ed Snook went to the extreme measures of contacting Chris's military commander, okay, because since Chris wouldn't go along with, with Ed Snook and, and, and basically get rid of me out of this whole support thing and declare me a lunatic, since Chris did not do that and stood next to me and with me and was, you know, taking my position, basically, um, Ed Snook contacted the military, Chris's commander, and played a conversation that Chris had with, with uh, Edward Snook, the one conversation they had, where Chris very briefly mentioned in the conversation 9-11 and the, the different types of controversial topics that Ed Snook does promote on his website. Like you said, Al, he, you know, very easily you can see that he claims all these things are corrupt and, and everything else like we all do. But he um, used that against Chris and went to the military commander and told the military that Chris is dangerous because he's active duty and he believes that 9-11 was responsible, the government was responsible for uh, for 9-11 and that's dangerous to have someone like that in the military. So his his, uh, career was completely ruined because of Ed Snook. Then Ed Snook contacts Chris's wife. Do you know how Um, long he'd been in the military before? Ten years. He's had had ten deployments. Yeah. Ten deployments, and he's in the reserves now, but, you know, he had, I mean, when Ed Snook, one thing about Ed Snook, I will say, when he throws a threat at you, he will follow through. Absolutely. This man is a bully, and he uses his newspaper just like he says he does. It's his weapon to destroy people with it. Well, and, that's and exactly I, like I said, I've met Ed Snook, and he's a big guy. He, he's actually yeah. a physically big man, and he, he likes to try to intimidate people. Okay, that's yep. his that's his thing. Okay, even physically, just and and just in passing, I didn't have any business with Ed Snook, but yet you know I'm I'm standing there, I catch this vibe, but I'm you know I'm just not easily intimidated, uh, you know, so it didn't really go over with me real well. But you know, I see other people, you know, they kind of uh, you can see body language, and he'll like puff up right on, on you know, and he's like oh, a foot taller than most people. And, uh, you know, he, he puffs up and, and gets real close, and people cower, you know, and that's, really? that's when things are good, yeah, for him. Oh, I can't wait to meet, I can't wait to meet Mr. Ed Snook in person. I'm being serious. I cannot wait to see him in person. I well, mean, that's I really one of like the great him. things about this. That raises the question that I really want to get back to. We talked on this in the past, a little bit on the program. You have $27,000 in filing fees. You're living in Texas. The case is taking place in Oregon. How are you managing to trans- get uh, to appear? And what, <laughs> what, you're indigent. How are you traveling half way across the country? And that's you know, a, a rhetorical yeah. question, but tell people well, this is what, what I've you learned. got into this, and what you've become adept at. This is what I've learned. When, when I first got into the, having to be forced to represent myself in this case, um, of course, the electronic filing had not started yet. But um, so the first six months I'm Hadn't doing... started the, yet in Oregon. Right, well, it, right, in Oregon. It's, a very, it's very new. Um, yeah. So I was just doing conventional filing, which means through the mail, um, from January, or I'm sorry, from July 2014 through December 2014, and then all of a sudden in January, I get this notice, and it says the Oregon courts, the Oregon Judicial Department is going electronic filing. It's called electronic e-filing and serve. So I got really excited. I'm like, well, I'm going to go live too, you know. So I actually, you know, sure enough, it is open to people who are pro se. You can actually sign up for it for free, 
and there's a little um, training course you can take, and it shows you how to file and how to do this electronic um, entering of the of your uh, you know your filings and how to serve the other side. It's very very simple, and so I just started electronically filing. So now I had the control of my entire case, and so that's not only really, control really, really of your entire case. Not only control of your entire case, you actually are able to engage in hearings yeah. with these people while you're sitting uh -huh. back in Texas. That's correct. I could have challenged jurisdiction if I really wanted to, but I wanted to keep it in Oregon because it is his own hometown, so I didn't challenge it. And so what happens when you're this far away, I found a statute that says that um, now every state is different, so don't take this. I'm not giving any legal advice or anything, but check your own local I'll rules. Just tell what you found. Yeah, 25 miles or more away from the courthouse, you can actually request to have a telephonic appearance. And the courts are required to grant you that request if you file a motion. So all you have to do is just file a motion and say, you know, you're 25 miles away, and it would be more convenient to appear telephonically. And so if I was in person, like I said, this whole time, I'm not trained in law. I'm not an attorney. I don't know how to present myself in a hearing situation. But I'll tell you what, being on a telephonic hearing it's nerve-wracking at first, but now I can do things that I wouldn't probably be able to do in the courtroom, and that's like, say, objection, Your Honor, you know, or, or really have a chance to argue my uh -huh. side of what I'm trying to say. Because as you know, I'm sure when you're in person, the judge says, be quiet. You have to be quiet, okay? You, I mean, he doesn't, they'll interrupt you. You can't talk. Well, when you're on the phone, you still, of course, you respect. I mean, nothing outrageous. You act very respectful. That's, I've always been respectful. I've never out, you know, acted out of, um, out of professional type of behavior. Um, I, I have made the judge very upset with me on things that he doesn't want me to file, but I just, the record is being recorded automatically. One thing about electronic filing is all the hearings are being audio recorded in every courthouse. So there's no transcriber anymore sitting over there transcribing live as you're having your litigation in, in your court. There's just an audio database of the re recording, and so you can actually get a copy of the recording after it's over. It's like $10, I think. And then you can listen to your recording, and then you can hear you know, how you did, and then you can sit down in your, at your home privately and strategize and learn the law, learn what you did wrong, and then get it into the record. Because you have control of your case. Well, there's another point on this. It's got to yeah. be a lot more comfortable to be speaking oh, yeah. to the court, sitting at your own desk in your own home, than it is right. to show up in a courtroom. I mean, all by Absolutely. itself, the courtroom is a strange place. You're not familiar with <laughs> yeah, it. There's yeah. a guy over in the corner with a gun. That's the bailiff. You've got a <laughs> woman who's right? typing things up, and you're hoping she's getting an accurate record of what you're saying. Exactly. This has got to take a lot of the intimidation factor out of the court. It course. sure does. <laughs> it sure does. I mean, the first hearing, I was very nervous, you know, because I, I just was. And um, I was able to get on the record uh, the, my entire objections of an oral judicial notice of what the other side and the court clerk were caught doing to my case. And so I don't think I would have been able to have the, um, the right mind because I would have been way too nervous to speak all what I spoke on the record um, if I was in person. In the courtroom. So, in the right, courtroom. Right, but it be, right. but because you were, able to, you were able to do this from back at your own home, it gives yep. you a certain amount of courage. How did you feel the first time you said, I object? And I nothing felt, happened, and the world didn't come to an end. <laughs> I was nervous. It's kind of weird. Yeah, because I bet you, you were. I, I mean, the funniest part was when Ed Snook actually blurted out during one of the hearings, because I've had four telephonic, uh, electronic hearings so far, the telephonic um, 
the over the phone oral arguments. And so, um, as and the more I do them, the better I keep getting. But yeah. one, the one that was funny, I wish I could have been there, was when Ed Snook blurted out because I was um, I objected to that the judge was uh, and and the opposing side were discussing my judicial notices as well as my evidence that I had entered into the case on a judicial notice. Um, that's my own my own experience. I've learned about these filings of a judicial notice. You can actually. It's an evidentiary rule, but you can actually get your evidence into the record without having to go through the evidentiary process. And so it saves time, and the judges really don't like them. I mean, my judge does not like, and he, he's told me many times to stop filing a judicial notice. That's what, I love ab- that's what I love about judicial notices. I do, too. So you're familiar with what I'm saying, right? Oh, absolutely. That judicial notice, as a matter of fact, oh, 15 years ago, I... I found out about them, and I used them successfully, and I started making, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 judicial notices that I had <laughs> used available, you know, boilerplate, like, look, here's how you do them, here's what they are, here's what they can be used for, and uh, when I was running, uh, you know, we had the newspaper before the network, uh, I would sell them as a little package for like $15 or something to try to look, you know, and you get this packet in the mail of all these judicial notices and and instructions on how to use them. And the instructions came, you know, straight out of the rules. Uh, Exactly. They are are great. They're very very underused. That's because lawyers are the ones infesting the courts, and the judges don't like them because they're very effective. Exactly. And that is a pro se. That's one of our arsenals right there is judicial notices to get your record where your evidence is actually in the record is it by a judicial notice. Very strong. So, very, and, and also yeah. judicial notices can create appealable points. Exactly. When you notify the judge with a judicial notice that, listen, this is the case law. These are the rules. Here it is. This is it. Uh-huh. And and he goes, overruled, whatever. No way. Well, Okay. You know, you've got, I mean, this is nowhere to go for him, you know, other than, yeah, you you know, he can railroad you through his court, but, you know, there's a higher court, and you just well, what, created what something. I learned, though, I, I learned that judges cannot, they're not even really supposed to rule on him. All they're supposed to do, I thought, was just notice what you're noticing into the record. Sure. Now, if the, opposing, if the opposing side wants to object to your judicial notice and what you're presenting into the record, then, yeah, they can object to it. You can have a hearing. You can mm-hmm. argue it out. And then you have your, your um, you know, you, the judge well, will decide. And, and the, only, the only thing that they can object to, uh, at least here in Oregon, the rules of judicial notices, as long as you do them properly, in other right. words, they've got the, they're set up the right way, they've got the right information, and they're proper, right. they're by the rules, there is nothing to object to. Exactly. It, it's just a matter of, here it is. Now, you yep. can either open You mean, but wait a second, let's open. be clear about this. When you say there's nothing to object to, assuming I was an, uh, your adversary in the court and you put a judicial notice in and you've got five, five allegations in that judicial notice or five statements or whatever, but five elements, and I say number four is false. Well, then the, the judicial notice is Even only if it's be in the evidence. right format, we get and, to have a debate on, wait a second, number four has, is, is, is... Then that would be an improper judicial notice. Well, it, that would be, it, yeah, the, the type of evidence that you're supposed, you're supposed to use a judicial notice for is evidence that is irrefutable, that the other side cannot challenge. Now, they, if they want to try to, they can, but that's where you have to really make sure whatever, whatever evidence you're, you're judicially noticing into the record... That you have, there's, it's easily verified. You can verify it easily, like the judge or whoever can 
you know, look at the notice and look at the evidence and then very easily verify it to make sure it's right. true. Right. You're supposed like, to basically use things like case law, uh, right. other, other, other jurisdictions law, uh, standing laws, statutes, codes, uh, things of this nature that, yeah, oh, okay, listen, and, and mainly you're doing it to try to get the judge to follow the aware. rules. To right. follow the rules, because they won't follow the rules unless, uh, <laughs> unless you try really to make don't. them. And, yeah. and then they don't even then, you know, because like you said, yeah, they really don't rule on it, but they can ignore it. Well, they're, well, they're not supposed according to statute. No, they're not says, supposed to, but that. It says shall. But, shall When you see shall, that means has a duty to. And it says in Oregon, it says, I know way more about Oregon law than I ever wanted to know about it. <laughs> I'm all the way in Texas. Well, I just but love it. it. I, I like it when they when they ignore it because well, you that know, right funny there about is an Judge appealable Hull. point. Judge Hall, I mean, he told me straight up, he's like, Mrs. Swan, these are inappropriate. I don't know. I've never. I don't even know what this is. I'm not going to read it. Um, and he t- he's told me every. How can, every he, how can he say it's inappropriate if he's not going to read it? Exactly. Good point. You know. Well, hey, you know what? Not if it's appropriate or not. Well, you know what? You, you should file another judicial notice explaining what a judicial notice is. You were right? so funny. I did. The, I did that. It's so funny. I, I filed because during this one hearing, he told me that what I just said, Mrs. Swan, they're inappropriate. It's not fair. I'm not going to rule on that. I'm not going to even read it. And so after that hearing, I sat down and I drafted a judicial notice <laughs> on judicial notices. <laughs> I filed it in the record. And he got so upset with me because the, the next hearing after that, he brought it up again. And he's like, uh, what makes you think that you can file these things called judicial notices? And I tried to, you know, well, I actually read the statute to him. Yeah, rule and he, he would interrupt me. You're wrong, Mrs. Swan. You're wrong. It doesn't say that. And I'm like, very well, Your Honor. So I have that for part of my appeal, because if he would take notice of this stuff, and, and Lorenberger could have, uh, oh, by the way, the other, uh, the opposing attorney's name is James Lorenberger. I don't know if you know him, mm-hmm. but that's my opponent that I'm up against, is Mr. James Lorenberger. So um, James Lorenberger never once objected or even challenged my judicial notices, and so, which he could if he doesn't agree with them. And so he never challenged them. So they're in the record. But he wouldn't and probably know how. And while um, I the reason I, <laughs> I say that, I don't know if there's a as, but given that he's used to battling with other attorneys, and other attorneys know the judges don't want judicial notices, he's probably yeah. not confronted many of them during his career, and he might not have confronted any of them until he ran into you. So he well, you may know, not right. exactly feel comfortable <laughs> with, with objecting to something he'd never seen before. I don't know if he, I can't say if he has or hasn't, but Mr. James, I don't, Berger, I can't not, either. Yeah, he doesn't care for me, which is fine. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this judge upset with me. I'm really not. Um, I, you know, Judge Hull has, in some areas of the case, ruled according to what the law says he has, and he's, you know, which is what I've, I've brought to the court's attention. But, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that they're doing. And, as you know, Frank, if you're pro se, you have everyone in the world against you. I mean, everyone in that courthouse is not going to work, or they want you to lose. They do not want pro se litigants in there No, they don't even all. want you in the door. No. And so that's, again, this electronic filing is a dream for people who have to, you know, represent themselves. And it's really, really, without the uh, ability to, to electronically file, then I would not be, I don't think, where I'm at today. I probably would have, well, I would have been completely, you know, thrown out by now. You've got this, and, you've got this electronic filing going on, and that's powerful. The way you've described this to me previously is you really get an opportunity to litigate from your desk in your home. 
Yes, and you, you control what's being filed. You can, and what's even really good is, and it doesn't kind of happen in it doesn't happen in real time in the sense that you get into a into a courtroom and you've got to be able to think on your feet. You got to know all the moves and whatever. It's not exactly like that between electronic filing plus your understanding of how to object during the course of the telephonic hearings. Yeah, right. Right, because there's Once a lot of rules. Those we, objections, you know. I'm going to guess that you, <laughs> after the hearing, I'm going to guess that you prepare a written document that you submit into the record based on your objections. Is that is that true or false? That's that's false. I mean, the objections I always um, before the hearing, I I get myself ready and I have my objections in front of me, so I'm I'm pretty good about that part of it. But what happens is, is the court will either ignore them or tell me that I'm wrong or, or um, you know, absolutely just say you know completely go around, circumvent what I just tried to object to. And so that's when you can, after it's over, and tell, this is not legal advice, this is what I've learned, that um, a judge's oral ruling from the bench is not, there's no legal authority behind that ruling at all. I mean, he can say whatever he wants. He can tell you, you know, denied, whatever, objected, overruled. But until it's an actual written judgment, a written order from the judge and a written judgment into the actual case, it's not controlling, um, it's not a controlling authority. His verbal rulings and even opinion letters that are written by judges, which they've tried to do with me, he's written a, quite a few opinion letters after a hearing, and it looks really legal, and it is legal, it's his opinion, but there's no legal authority from that letter. So you can still object, is what I've learned for myself, is I get to, I, you know, wait for the ruling, every, every oral argument's gone into advisement, um, and so he's got to review and decide what he wants to do with the, with the rulings. And so at, while I'm waiting for the judge to rule on it, I'm filing my objections to his objections. <laughs> or I'm filing a motion for another, you know, motion to strike. Or I'm filing my motions to, to request another oral argument. Or I'll put in my judicial notices after, you know, the hearing. And Lernberger tried to tell me many times I can't do that because the hearing's over. And that's fine. He can tell me all day long I can't do certain things, but I know what the rules say. And you can, you can legally put into the record after a hearing um, anything that's needed to until the, the, the main ruling has been you know, given by the judge. And even then, once the ruling by the judge is in paper format, now you have an appealable issue possibly you can appeal it from. Now, so, now, what is this? What is what exactly is this case about? I mean, what are the what is the <laughs> allegation? What is the what what supposedly happened here? I'm, okay, this is what happened. I I um in 2013 is when Ed Snook decided to finally publish an article about me personally. So he publishes a three-page complete false defamatory article about myself with a you know blown-up picture with me on the front trying to make me look like a terrorist, uh, accusing me of being an FBI snitch, of being, um, having government protection, of getting uh, released early out of prison, um, that I'm a felon with firearms. I mean, all these false, slanderous things about me to, sh uh, to silence me. So he did this, and at first when I heard about this article, I did not even want to read it. I heard about it. I had no idea it was being spread the way it, is, it had been spread. But I finally, um, I received something from someone on my Facebook page challenging me about what this article said. And so I, then I did my own research, and I realized he's really made this thing go everywhere. I was humiliated. He sent it to all my, my clients and my massage therapy. I mean, everyone in my life got a copy of this thing. So that's when I decided to pull the law books out and find out how I can sue him for defamation. So the first thing in Oregon, the statute says for defamation, in order to have a lawsuit against a newspaper publisher or a media type of um, 
situation, mm -hmm. before you can sue them for monetary damages, you have to send what's called a demand retraction notice to the, to the publisher of the defamatory statement. And it's under statute 31.150, I think. Yeah, I'm real aware of that. You know, like I yeah. said, before the network, I published a newspaper myself for about six years. So that was one of the... Oh, so you're aware of it. That was the statute. One of the statutes I looked at before I ever even published my first copy. Yeah. Yeah, because you're a good publisher, and you don't want to defame someone, and you want to know what would happen if you put false information. Well, yeah, so, I want yeah, to know what good. my protections are, because I, I was running articles from other people, too, and it's like, well, okay, uh, I'm not going to be able to just really fact-check every single article down to the, you know, to make sure there's no errors, and somebody could have an error. What is my liability if an article I publish from somebody else is, you know, not true? That's why right. I looked it up, and, and you know, so, yeah, it... It's and there, so there is there is a shield law in Oregon too. Yeah. That's the, that's the anti-slap. Yeah. So I was aware of this, and so I followed the statute because you know the only thing really for civil cases is monetary damages. You know there are uh, limits to where you can actually be compensated if you're if you're injured. So that's what I did. Is I sent Mr. Snook. I sent him my demand retraction notice with the um, just like the statute says. And what he did, he ignores my demand retraction notice, and now he's aware of what I'm about to do. He sees, uh-oh, lawsuit might be happening. So Ed Snook ignores it. He circumvents the, the notice, and he files a lawsuit against me. And so he files, so now I'm having to, you know, now I'm the defendant. I'm like, wait a second, you, did, you haven't been injured by me. But he says that he has. And so he's, he's claiming that the YouTube video that I published on the Internet, as well as my consumer complaint that I made to the Department of Justice in Oregon, as well as the Better Business Bureau. Ed Snook is claiming that these were false and malicious um, complaints that, have, that were to harass him, and so that's what his lawsuit is against me, was a defamation. And so that's when I filed my counterclaim against him, and I filed my counterclaim for, of, of course, defamation, slander, um, and of quite a few other uh, actions against him. All right, so, finally. Yeah. Finally, somebody yeah. has filed a countersuit. And, oh, yeah. See, it thing. was not just a fantasy that we talked about on this program. <laughs> We've been recommending this to people for some time. but uh, Oh, always counter, always counter. Cause, you I, know, absolutely. That, that's what happens. They, now, now they're forced. Ed Snook has been forced this whole time. You have to deal with the counterclaims first. And so they, the whole two, little over two years now I've been you know, representing myself their number one attention has been to get rid of my counterclaim. And they've tried everything you can imagine. They've tried to. The first dirty trick that James Lernberger did was act like he never received my answers and my um, counterclaim and just told the court that I was in default. And the court, you know, went along with it and gave him a $50,000 default judgment against me with 9% interest in attorney fees. And that's how the whole thing started off. I'm like, wait a second, you know, so I went into panic mode. And now I'm having to scurry around trying to figure out how to fix this. And if you call any attorney, no one's going to answer your questions. Nobody helps you. And so I'm, and I'm pushed into this default judgment with a lien against my property. And I worked really, really hard on filing my, my counterclaim. And uh, they almost got me in the very beginning. So, yeah, it was, it's been crazy. How so did that's you, how they don't get you, if they don't get you right up front, they give you an opportunity to learn. I mean, they've oh, got to crush is, you like yeah. a tin can right <laughs> up front, or if they don't, it encourages you, it gives you time to learn, and next thing you know, they've got a real problem, because well, you'll take places just... they haven't gone. Other attorneys <laughs> will not take them in the same way to the same arguments that, that you're likely to present, and uh, 
Well, they definitely weren't them. ready they can't for me. Be boilerplate. They've actually got to start thinking. They've got to take well, see, time that they could be hustling other people out of their money, and instead they're spending <laughs> right. time defending yeah. against you. Well, what, what they weren't expecting is I believe they were expecting, like, the common law, sovereign citizen, pro se person. Like, unfortunately, a lot of people do this, and it really hurts our position as litigants when you're having to represent yourself because people usually do it all wrong. I mean, I have never asked the court to treat me any different than in any other way than this. I want the same exact position as, as the other attorney. I don't ask for any special treatment. I'm not asking for any kind of special, you know, anything. I just want them to give me the same respect and the same position of a playing field that Mr. Lernberger has. And it hasn't been that way all the way through. And so, which is, you know, I expect it. So if you, if you tell yourself, okay, I got to do this. I have no choice. Let's just make it fun. And so let's just learn what the rules are. Let me learn every rule that the judge has to follow. Let me learn everybody's rule because everybody has a rule book. There's a rule book for evidence. There's a rule book for the judge. There's a rule book for civil procedure. There's a rule book for appellate judges. There's a rule book for everything. And so and even the ethical rule. probably a rule book on how to railroad pro se's too, isn't there? Oh, yeah, there is. Um, there absolutely is one. There's a task force actually within these courthouses. There's a pro se litigant task force that literally comes together when there is a pro se filing and they work to find a way to dismiss the, the case. They don't care about the merits. And I'll make you a bet that they not only work to find a way to dismiss the case at the trial court level, I will bet you that they share their information, whatever new strategies they define. They discover a new strategy, they find a new way to counter that strategy. I'll bet that news goes to someplace in Washington, D.C., where it can be shared nationwide. Well, this is where I'm at right now, if you're right. And the electronic filing is a great tool for pro se litigants, but that does not mean you can get, you know, any, any way relaxed about representing yourself. You have to micromanage your docket file sheet. Like, I don't literally... Go ahead. Go ahead. To what extent do you think your indigency is due to Snook and Lernberger and their lawsuit against you? Everything. I mean, I have this man. Well, well, what I'm trying to get to is this. this yeah. If you go to an employer and they find out that you are have been an alleged terrorist or whatever, if this, insofar yeah. as that information can be traced back to Snook, is that part of the reason you're indigent? Yes. I mean, if you Google my name and everybody Googles someone's name, employers do it, everyone. And okay, so here's my point. Up. Here's my point. If he is responsible for your indigency... He's the one who's given you hours and hours and hours of, of free training. time to construct. <laughs> he actually laid the foundation for your expertise. Well, I don't know by, if I'm an by, expert. By making by sure you didn't have a job, you got nothing better to do than read the law books. Unfortunately, I, I was, I've been forced into this when you've lost everything and you've been kicked in the face like I, I have been by Ed Snook. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot more to lose. And um, it's been one hell of a learning experience. It was my choice to try to help my friend. And... It, you know, it's really, um, it's pretty outrageous, but I'm not the crazy one here. I'm really not. I'm not obsessed. I'm just trying everything to, to get justice and to learn the rules, and that's all I'm doing. I'm not doing anything ex exceptional except just going by the rule book. And when you start learning and w when you know what the rules are, all the way from the clerk to the e-filing to the judge's rules to the opposing attorneys, I mean, when you start learning what these people's rules are, then you start seeing they violate Every rule. Have you had any, have you had anybody at the court tell you yet when you when you're pointing out that they're not following the rules that that's just not the way they do it? 
everybody. I'm told I've, okay. you have to be really, really hard-headed because you're never going to have anyone tell you that you're doing good. And so what I've learned is when you have, I mean, literally the clerks, the judge, all these people telling you how wrong you are and that I'm incompetent. And what's really funny is that one of the hearings I actually missed on accident, it wasn't my fault, but that's one of the rulings they, of course, signed all these orders that were, you know, not right. But anyhow, the very end of this oral argument, Lernberger and uh, the judge were discussing me. And Lernberger, of course, says on record that, you know, Mrs. Swan, all these filings, he just doesn't understand them and um, I'm incompetent and all this. And Judge Hull said, you know, I wouldn't say Ms. Swan's incompetent. I'm not going to say that, uh, Mr. Lernberger, but I will say that she's unique. <laughs> she's definitely unique because we've, I've never seen anyone argue and handle a case quite the way Mrs. Swan has, you know, handled her case. Mm-hmm. And all I'm mm-hmm. doing is just objecting and just when they file something that's not correct, and I, can, I have comprehension skills, I can read the statute, I can read what the rules say, and I know what the appellate judges advise people to do, and that's say object to everything. If you don't object to it, then you waive objection. So that's, what, that's all I've done, is I've objected to everything Mr. Lernberger filed. So what they've done now, though, what he's been you know, trying to do, is he now has learned, or he's tried to figure out a way to keep it to where I know what's being filed, and so, but the beauty thing about the electronic filing is if you pay attention and you know that um, you set your account up correctly, every time the opposing side files something, the, uh, the bar rule for uh, attorneys in Oregon anyway is that it's mandatory to use electronic e-filing and serving. So that means when you file your record into the, to the database, you click, you click the e-file and serve option. And what that does is right when the court clerk receives your electronic filing, she reviews it. Once she hits accept and the court now accepts your filing, you get a notice of it and then the other party is electronically served. So that, that satisfies the rule of electronic service. You're serving the other side a copy. And so but you um, can also you, one of the options you have is not to click file and serve. You right. can also click file. E file. In which right. case that, <laughs> the document is filed but it's not served not on the served. opposing party. Is that true? That's correct. And so, yes, and that's, that's the little trick that Mr. Lernberger has been playing against me is there's not one, there is not one filing so far in this case since we've been electronic, that's January of 2015, that he's electronic filed and served. And so he loves to play the same dirty trick against me. It's claiming he never received something, you know, claiming, well, so this whole time when I filed my summary judgment, Mr. Lernberger, again, does the same thing, claims to the court that Mrs. Swan didn't serve him, you know, the electronic summary judgment, and I need sanctions against me and all this, you know, all these, you know, sanctions he wants to have ordered against me. And so finally, I put into the record, I responded and I objected, and I told uh, the courts that, you know, here is the proof. And so I attached a screenshot because Mr. Lernberger wasn't aware that every time something is, is filed on his end, you can actually click an option and have the notification an automatic notification sent to you when the opposing side has filed something. Now, they still but have this, to serve not, you. This notification does not constitute service. No, no, You're exactly. notified, a, so he thinks he, may, right. he apparently thinks he's doing something <laughs> that you won't find out about. And exactly. Fact, uh, <laughs> you're automatically notified. He's up to something exactly. again. And th- exactly. Well, and no, no even, wait a minute. Playing that kind of game, and obviously you have the proof, electronically filing and serving and all this stuff. I mean, yeah. there is proof. And yep. and he's saying, oh no, I didn't get it. Well, he's clearly lying. Isn't there yep. isn't there some kind of sanctions that could be brought oh, against yeah. him? 
I've tried. I've, I've filed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This should be, honestly, I've, I've read other people, other attorneys in the past, like that are filed on bar complaints and all this, that they, this is actually a reason to disbar someone when you lie. That's and right. Fraud upon Three instances. Three instances yeah. of, to take a of uh, yep. moral turpitude, and he is canned. No, three instances yep. of baritry, and it constitutes moral turpitude, which is a felony, and which is evidence of intent, and he is supposed to be automatically disbarred. At least that's what the rule used to be. I mean, at least bare minimum, here on bare minimum, bare minimum reprimand this man. Give him six months reprimand or something. I mean, do something to help me out. But so, once... What are the an, the very, what's the answer by the court when you put that in? That they ignore that I get ignored, and so that's why you can't take it personal. You have to just realize how powerful pro se litigants are when you're playing by their rules. Don't expect them to do anything for you. Just make the record. Make your record. File it into the record. You've got control of your case because you can electronically e-file, just like the other side. you got proof of them receiving it. It even shows you a digital timestamp of when, like everything that I file, I follow the rules, and I click e-file and serve. So I see when my little when my document goes to the court clerk, she accepts it. I get a notification; it's been accepted, and then I get a notification that it's been served to Mr. Lernberger. And then I can watch it. I can click into the to the actual um, timestamp of the computer generated, um, you know, following this uh, following your record, and you can see when they actually opened it up. And so it's not my fault if he doesn't open it, but it does say he was served. And so what's funny is all these times he said on my summary judgment he never, he never was served and made a big fuss about this, wrote a big old letter to the judge, and I kept telling him he's wrong. And so he was not aware that I had the ability to go in and look at the timestamp that he was actually when he opened it and everything else. So I did file another bar complaint against him. I'm not expecting it to go anywhere because the bar, the bar administration is just like the court's. They don't do anything for you if you're pro se, and so, um, but I'm still making my record, and so I did file a complaint showing the bar that he's committed fraud, he's lying, and all the rules he's violated by his lies, and I showed the proof that he was served. It's right here, and I'm showing the pattern that this is a very normal pattern for um, Mr. Lernberger to do this. Now, he's been doing it since the very beginning. We don't so. have a lot of time left, so where, where is this case, where is the whole situation at right now? Right now, they're still legally trying to get rid of my counterclaims, and they haven't been able to do it. Um, we're still in litigation. How long have I mean, they been we, trying to get rid of your counterclaims? Since January or since July of uh, 2014. Okay, so we've got two years they've been trying to get rid of your counterclaims, and they haven't succeeded. All by itself, that's evidence that your counterclaims must be pretty strong and probably valid. They should have been well, able were, to crush this right up there on the front door at the at the at yeah. the very beginning of this. It should have been crushable if you are incompetent. The fact that you've survived well, for two years is good evidence you've got something <laughs> happening here. Well, Ed Snook is now though. What he's turned to now is he's actually published two more articles about me just in June of this past month, and two more defamatory articles about me personally, accusing me again of crimes I have not committed. And he's actually, I've got proof now during this two years that he has actually admits that he has FBI contacts that he has contacted. And he's, um, they don't like what Deborah Swan is doing, um, all the illegal activities I've been doing against the FBI. Um, this is all a, a recorded conversation by Ed Snook uh, discussing this with another person. And he filed this into his own record as evidence, so it's going to actually help me. So, um, but right now it looks like all Ed Snook can do is try to find a way to plot against me and bring some sort of um, harm to me to have me 
arrested for something I haven't done. So that's what my concern is right now because I'm I'm pretty I'm in a good position. I, they haven't been able to you uh, know get me out of this now, case. And, now, so your counterclaim is is claiming uh, defamation and uh, what? Uh, slander per se. Okay. De, um, libel per se. Okay, so. Um, well, so you're, you've got this case going on for quite a while now, and Ed Snook mm-hmm. chooses to continue in the very activity that mm-hmm. he's being sued for. Yep, exactly. Actually, worse. While yeah, yes, he's being sued for it. Yep. He doesn't take me seriously at all. Yeah. It's concerning. It's very concerning to see it. And he actually contacted the Better Business Bureau and the Department of Justice and got my Better Business Bureau very valid consumer complaints that were published for the past three years on their website, um, he got them completely deleted. And so, then, I mean, both mine and Chris Mortensen, the guy who paid the 10000 we had very valid Better Business Bureau complaints. You could go on the Better Business Bureau website, click in U.S. Observer, pull up their uh, customer reviews and the complaints. They had an F rating this entire time. And not because of my complaints, it's because when Ed Snook would receive from the Better Business Bureau the information that he had a consumer complaint, he would just ignore it. And so that causes an F rating, according to the Better Business Bureau. So these yeah, were valid complaints. your complaint that receives the F. The F goes to the party that you're complaining about. Right. And he Snook got the F. You didn't get the F. Snook, no, Snook got the right. F. No? Well, okay. exactly. Um, I'll tell you exactly. what, however, we are out of time, Deborah. I want to okay. thank you very All much right. for being on the program. Look forward to <laughs> talking to you some more about this and following what happens. Uh, folks, look into e-filing. This is powerful information for any pro se. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour. We'll be back in two weeks, or excuse me, one week. And uh, thanks for listening. God bless you all. Good night. Good night. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
good evening all. This is the Frank Report. It is Tuesday, August 9th, 2016. It's about nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we're live, 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. That'll get you on the air. I don't have that pesky uh, call screener on on my show, so you just get straight on. The call screener for me is the fader, that's all, but uh, you are able to call in. You are also able to go to the chat room, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, okay? Um, everything you need to know about this network is found there, and... Uh, The chat room is also there. All right. So there you have it. I found the uh, last show very interesting. I mean, I don't know if you all listened. I hope you did because uh, you can gain some knowledge from it and some insight. Uh, yes, it happens. It's happening in the Oregon courts. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, it, it's got to happen somewhere. And it could happen where you live also. Uh, oh, Hang on. Wait a minute. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical per 
preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com, N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. technical difficulty there. It was really no one's fault. I uh, had a little problem with my um, with my board, and I, I think that uh, perhaps that's why uh, Frank uh, just, I didn't know if I was going to get that fixed in time. So it is fixed, and uh, so nobody's real problem there. Uh, hope that didn't create too much confusion. So let me just uh, start off. This is the Condition Critical Show. This is my live show uh, for Tuesday. The, what is it, the ninth day of August 2014. It is now 15 minutes past the hour, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, Jay Shannon, and, and again, Frank was, uh, uh, is no, nobody's real fault. It's, things happen, and it's, God, it's no big deal. I mean, I, like I say, I, I normally tune in uh, at 8 p.m. To, to listen to Frank myself. So uh, here we are. And hope that wasn't too much of a uh, of a uh, of foul up there for for the listeners out there. I see MS in the chat room. Hey, MS, and I see Frank there, and well, myself. So you guys can go ahead and get there yourself. Uh, let me just because we're getting a little bit of a late, kind of confused start here. You are listening on the American Voice Radio Network, which means, guys, you can go to the American Voice or the American Voice Radio dot com, and everything you need to know is at that website. I have a website, and everything you need to know about me is at my website condition criticalshow.com posted a couple of new articles on there uh just some short ones one about hillary clinton i'm going to talk about her a little bit and and some different things and uh this evening so why don't we just get started and and you know this this happens sometimes and and you get kind of sidetracked there uh i do want to talk about hillary clinton a little bit and about how i mean you would think from the news that this is like an immensely popular person, at least if you watch like the or listen, you know, or watch like a, the mainstream news. Uh, you would think. Hold on a second. I have to check a message here. I'll just bear with me while I do this. Uh, you would think that, that from the news accounts, okay, that this is any this is a popular person that she's 
a nice person and that just everyone likes her and there's, there's no faults of her and, and blah, 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 right? Well, I've said, and I've been saying for some time, and I don't know who I said this to or when I said it, but I believe, I believe that Hillary Clinton has nothing more than a terracotta army of fools that support her. And if you go to my blog, you will find, and let me just go ahead and what I'll do, ladies and gentlemen, just to make it easy, is I will post, and now this is kind of not safe for work, and there's a bit of a vulgarity in the language, uh, but I think it's safe to post at least uh, for y'all to read. And I hesitate sometimes with the vulgarity, especially with using this particular word, because I know how this particular word can maybe at times you maybe turn people off or, or whatever. But you know what? It's appropriate in, in the case of, 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 of one Hillary Clinton, because she is what she is. Let me see. There it posted. Okay. Now, let me just, now let me just go back to my article and just kind of read from it. And I won't, you know, obviously mention the vulgarity, but and it's just a short article, okay? And, and, and it starts off with, I don't care what the mainstream media or anyone else has to say about Hillary Clinton, because uh, I believe that she's in fact popular. I'm kind of paraphrasing my own article here. In fact, most people, and this is true, most people, most people that I talked to, I was just going for a walk in the park today, and I was kind of, you know, talking to a fellow mostly about dogs. You know, I had my Boston Terrier over there, and he has a, a small one, and it just kind of rolled around into to, to kind of politics a little bit there. And he said, oh, we're kind of screwed either way. And I said, yeah, you know, you might be right. I said, but if Hillary Clinton gets in there, I mean, it's, that's it, game over, because she is an exceptionally horrible person. Uh, she's like a sociopath, and she's, she's, a, she's a known criminal. I said, that's something that can't be disputed, and that's something that really people need to really kind of wrap their minds around, is that Hillary Clinton has a known track record of, of being a criminal. And, and not just a little bitty criminal. I mean, she's just, she's a known, she's what I would even call a violent, felonious type of criminal. She's, she's, she's got, like, dead bodies somewhere buried, okay? And she's corrupt, she's committed treason. My point is she, she has a 40-year track record of being a criminal. Okay, and a prolific one at that. Where Donald Trump, on the other hand, this is what I tried to tell this fella, Donald Trump, on the other hand, doesn't. He's just a guy. He's not a politician. Yeah, he's made some deals, and maybe he did a bankruptcy or two, and yeah, he's got a divorce maybe here or there. But he's nothing. He's absolutely nothing like Hillary Clinton or, for that matter, any other politician. Yet, now I will say that, yet. And, and I could be wrong somewhat, but I'm not entirely wrong. He's not. And this guy, you know, he kind of, he kind of had, you know, yeah, he kind of, yeah, I guess I, I never really looked at it that way. And I mentioned some names, you know, because I said she's guilty of murder. I said, you take Vince Foster and Ron Brown. He was the former head of the DNC. And there's, uh, and he, this guy even said, you know, what do you believe of the conspiracy theory about, what was it, uh, Bobby Kennedy's son or was it John F. Kennedy's son who mysteriously like died in a plane crash and he was like going to run against Hillary Clinton for the uh, New York Senate seat, and then he ends up dead. And I said, well, there you go. And I said, and it's on and on and on with this person, who I believe is a sociopath, and I mentioned that uh, in my article here. And I said that as well. I said, others find her to be a congenital liar, and she just is. And there's a little, there's a little picture of Hillary there, and, and the caption is, Clinton has a plan. And below that, it, there's a quote, I may be a liar, 
but I'll make sure you can't prove it. And, and it's just so true. But I went on to say either way, Hillary Clinton is a malignant you-know-what with nothing more than a terracotta army of fools that support her and therefore is, unhol- un- is wholly unfit to be president of these United States of America. I said the, the United States of America, and that kind of ended my article. But that's what I kind of want to get across this evening is how, how wholly unfit this person is. And if, and if you listen, I was listening to, uh, what was I listening to? There was a show I was listening to last night. What was it? I, I can't remember what it was. It, it was just some commentary. That was mainstream radio, ladies and gentlemen. I can't remember. And I was only just a few minutes of it. But this, this narrative they're, that they're putting out there about Donald Trump, and, and you have to understand that they're all saying pretty much the same thing, whether it's the most lowly newspaper guy or, 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 or internet radio guy to, to, you know, your talking heads on uh, uh, national TV. They're all saying pretty much the same thing, that it's Donald Trump who is, he doesn't, he's unfit, he doesn't have the temperament, and you have, to, you have to wonder how they all came to that same conclusion, because it sounds like they're reading from a script, when basically it's kind of the other way around. Hold on a second, a couple more messages here. Yeah. Uh, let me just do this for Frank. Give me one second here. Uh, there we go. For my music for uh, the break, I had to see uh, Frank and I are kind of uh, uh, figuring that out because of the bit of confusion that happened, transpired there just before the show. So anyway, let me just continue on. And I had a couple of news articles I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to kind of uh, put forth this evening, and I'm, I'm going to get to them. Let me see here. Where's the first one? Well, and look, and there's two of them I'm going to get to first, and this one's kind of the latest one. And this is the latest in long laundry list of GOP, prominent GOP members, if you will, that are not going to vote for Donald Trump. And now this time is Susan Collins. She's a, a Republican. I believe she's from either Maine or Vermont. Let me give this a second to load from NPR, GOP Senator Susan Collins says she can't support Donald Trump, and there she is. And see, you have to understand, she's a Republican from Maine. You have to understand that, that, that these are not Republicans. And let me just read from the article a little bit here. It says, Maine Senator Susan Collins is the latest high-profile Republican to announce she cannot support her party's presidential nominee this fall. Her party's presidential uh, nominee this fall. Her party. I will not be voting for Donald Trump for president, the centrist GOP lawmaker wrote in a Washington Post op-ed. Now, when they say centrist, it just means that she's a, sheep's in a sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing. She's not a centrist. This woman is a Democrat. This woman is a liberal. Period. Okay? And she runs as a Republican. And if there's anybody up there in Maine listening, and I said the same thing about people, and I believe it was New York last week of the week before, you need to pull your head out of your dark spot. Okay, and stop voting for these people. Okay, these people are not acting in your best interest. I know that you're just little, uh, little Susie homemaker, and you, you're, you're, you think you're a Republican, and you know you have these ideals, and you may be, and you're little Tommy the truck driver or whatever, and you're just a super patriot Republican, and boy, you're going to vote for that Susan Collins because she's a, uh, a, she's a Republican, and my dad was Republican, and my granddaddy was Republican, and she's looking out for me. She's not looking out for you. You have to understand that. First, the, first and, and the first thing she's looking out is, and she said it, and they all say it, is they're looking out for their party. 
which is the Republican Party. The Republican Party, just like the Democratic Party, has nothing to do with the American people. Nothing to do with the American people. So that's something you have to understand, is that if you're looking for any politician from either party to save you or to do your bidding, well, then you're, you're just a fool, okay, because they are nothing more than useful idiots, and that's how you need to treat them. But let me continue on with the article. I'll start over. It says she won't be voting for Donald Trump, the centrist lawmaker wrote an op-ed piece in the Washington Post. This is not a decision I make lightly, for I am a lifelong Republican. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie, and we already know that. And sure, it's a decision. Uh, or, or and Yeah, I know it's not made lightly. It's a very easy decision for you to make because you're not a Republican. Simple as that. That's not to say that if, if, a, if a, a real Republican, if you will, were to be the nominee, that she wouldn't support him. Of course she would. Because, is, is, and what I mean by a real Republican is, I mean by someone who's part of the establishment. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. As long as you're part of the establishment as a whole, then you're with them, and they will support you. But see, like Donald Trump or not, and I'm not a supporter of him 100% in any way, shape, matter, or form, but he's not part of the establishment, and that is what made that, I believe, was his strongest appeal. And that is why he won in landslides. And that is why he did win overall in a landslide, the nomination for president of this country. So just, just keep that in mind. I'll continue on. The four-term senator, which is unbelievable that they would elect this wench to four terms up there in Maine. People, you need to really, I've been saying it for years. I've been saying it for years that we need to completely change uh, the way we, we run this country and the people that, that so, supposedly run this country. Come on, guys. We need to stop voting for people like this. Now, listen, I'll start over. The four-term senator has been a long, uh, has long been a critical, uh, has long been critical, I'm sorry, of Trump, saying after his attack on a federal judge of Mexican heritage, that comments like those made it, quote, very difficult for her to support the Republican nominee. Now, they can keep pressing that narrative all they want and trying to spin that any way they want. I think the vast majority of people don't understand what happened there. Okay, he didn't attack this guy from because of his Mexican heritage. He, he fairly and, and rightly uh, criticized this guy. But see, they're the ones that like to always bring race into it or gender. They're the ones that do that. Oh, you don't agree with that guy? Oh, he's attacking that guy? Oh, well, he's only doing it because he's a Mexican and he's a racist. And that is so easy for people to do. And, and it shouldn't be easy for people to do. And it's been more easy or more easily absorbed by people that are stupid and that and people need to wake up. I just told the guy in the park this today. I just told him. I was talking about this guy. I see we're coming up on break. But before we go to the break, I'll leave you with this. I said... This is what I told the guy, because I said a couple of things, and I noticed him kind of, you know, not cringe, but I could tell. I said, look, sometimes you have to say things, and you have to, and it's going to shock people, because it's, it's going to sound extreme or whatever. But I said, sometimes you really have to do that. And number two, you have to be, you have to stop being, people have to stop being afraid of being called a name. You don't want Mexicans flooding our border. Don't be afraid to say that. Don't be afraid to say, build a wall, not just build a wall, but put a tank down there with turn-mounted machine guns. And start killing them. That's what we. And, but don't and don't be afraid of being called a racist. You have a disagreement with a black. Don't be afraid of being called a racist. You have a disagreement with a Jew. But don't be afraid of being called an anti-Semite. Don't like uh, homos. Don't be afraid of saying it. And don't be afraid of being called a homophobe. Because that's going to restrict your speech when you're when you become so frightened of a word. 
if you catch my drift. So as we go into break, I will continue on this article, ladies and gentlemen. I have to make a short songs, so I do enjoy the music. See you after the break. body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere 
with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
folks. Welcome back to the second half of the Condition Critical Show. I'm your host, Jay Shannon, and it is now 38 minutes past the 8 o'clock hour. And again, my live show for, what is it, Tuesday, the ninth day. Is it the ninth? Yep, I still have to squint to see the date, ladies and gentlemen, of August 2016. Welcome back again. See Gene in the chat room. Nice to see you there, Gene. Always good to see you. Uh, MS, Frank there as well. And you can get into the chat room as well, folks. Go to the American Voice or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. That's the website, again, for this network, and uh, you can get into the chat room. It's a very interactive chat room, so I suggest you get in there. Uh, let me continue on because we kind of were uh, got a late start this evening. I want to kind of finish up with a couple of these things. I want to make it clear and apparent to people uh, how critical it is, and this really is a critical election. I don't mean to contradict myself when I say what I'm going to say next, and that is, uh, although I say it's a critical election, and it is, at the same time, there's not one single politician, okay, certainly not more than one, but there's certainly not one politician, single politician, is going to save us uh, from what needs to be done, okay? So we have to keep that in mind. And I guess what I would mean by that, or if I had to expand on that, is I wouldn't expect any, you know, magic rabbits or, or trick quarters or, or uh, you know, uh, you know, magic playing card decks full of surprises and good cheer if Donald Trump gets elected as president. Now, do I hope it happens? I don't know if hope's quite the right word, uh, but certainly he will do far less damage. Far less damage. In fact, he could do some good. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, will do no good. In fact, quite the opposite with her. She will do irreparable damage to this nation. She just will. She may, if she gets elected, have the opportunity to pick, well, certainly at least two Supreme Court nominees and possibly a third one. And because of the way our system works, uh, we're screwed. So it, it is a critical election. But just keep in mind that no single politician out there is going to save us. And people like this Susan Collins, who calls herself a Republican, and you know, I don't really need to read from the article anymore, but let me just, I just want to see if she's going to support uh, Clinton. Let me just, uh, hold on, I'm just kind of, kind of going over. Here's a, here's, let me read this paragraph in the Post, and this is the op-ed piece that she wrote. She writes that she had hoped Trump would temper his language and instead focus his fire on Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. Instead, Carl Collins argues, he's only gotten worse, pointing to his most recent offense of attacking the Gold Star parents of the late, and we all know that this is a fraud these Muslim savages. It's a fraud. It's a sham. It's nothing more than that. Period. It's a lie. It's a smear tactic. It's a smear campaign. So we know that. And that's, that's just the way it is. After they spoke out against him at the DNC over his proposal to ban some Muslims from entering the U.S. And this is something that I don't understand. You know, I thought we were at war with the Muslims. I thought that's why we went to Afghanistan. I thought that's why we went to uh, Iraq and, uh, what do we call it, destabilize those countries. I thought that's why we're destabilizing the entire Middle East, because of the Muslims and the Muslim savagery out there. I thought, that's, I, thought we were, I thought we were at war with these people. Otherwise, who are we at war with? Well, it's funny, isn't it, how the war of terror has turned into domestic terrorism. And we can't call domestic terrorism what it really is. We have to, you know, because domestic terrorism isn't the Muslims. Oh, it's those evil white people, and it's the cops, right? 
And it's those nationalists, those people that don't want the Mexicans here. It's not the Muslims. It's not the Muslim savages that have clearly, clearly been the ones that have committed the heinous acts or the, the mass shootings, if you will. Okay. So I just, I don't understand what, we're at war with them or, 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 or we're not at war with them. Okay, I don't get that. I've never kind of got that. There's somebody would have to explain that to me. Now, I'm not going to read any more from the article. I have a caller, and you know what? I guess I'll just go ahead and take the caller. So go ahead, caller. Who are you, and uh, where are you calling from? Hey, James Nanya. How you doing? Hey, Nanya. This is okay. How you doing, Nanya? This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is Nanya from the chat room. I don't see him in there this evening, but... Uh, that's how easy it. That's how easy it is for you to uh, get on the air. So, what's what can I do you for uh, this evening, Nanya? Oh, I, I was just kind of going to chip on some of what you were saying there. You, I just got. Oh, I just heard up to the part where you were talking about. You know, don't expect a not. I mean, a, some kind of magic order or whatever for you, Trump, in there. And you're right. You're absolutely right. That's one thing that is not being focused on enough nationwide. And that's the fact that. Every person in the House of Representatives is up for re-election this November, and a third of the Senate. That's a good point. And so let's yeah. see what happens, right? Yeah. Let's right. just see what happens. See, yeah. that's a good point, and that's something, yeah, I think that we kind of need to focus on further, is that, look, if we really want to change this country, we have an opportunity to do so. And so after right. the elections, if, if there's not significant movement in, in, in those two houses of Congress, right, in my opinion, right. then then people must not really care. I, or, or can it be that simple? And see, sometimes I get accused of maybe being just a little bit too harsh and maybe just you know, judging people too harshly. But, but there, has to be, there has to be an answer. And, and I have to stick with my answer is that people then just must not care. Because you know, if, 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 I get tired of hearing people complain just endlessly. That's all they want to do, but they don't want to seem to do anything about it. Now we have an opportunity yeah, to re-election the same incumbent. They just re-electing their guy. You know, it's like Congress has exactly. more than 90% of Exactly. Away. I had this and argument. Every, you know, here we, sorry, well, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I've had this argument before where, and I've made this argument myself, where, look, you, you can't just think that your guy's the guy. You know, my guy's the good guy. You, you can't think that. You have to put that out of your head. If, these, if he's been there, as long as some of these, people have, he's not a good guy anymore. You take somebody like Charles Angle, who's been in Congress for like 30 years. He's not a good guy anymore, man. Okay? Maybe he was back in 1968 when he got elected, but no longer. So I apologize. Go ahead. You're either part of the, part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Exactly. And I don't care if, uh, if 400 uh, current House of Representatives members come out and say they're not going to support Trump and 75 senators come out and say it. Because there's, uh, he is against what they're part of. Exactly. So why would they support? Him? Exactly. They're part of the problem. They're part of what he needs to take care of. They're part of the the the, the issues that we're dealing with and have been. And these career politicians getting in there, it's just yeah. ridiculous. You know, and the people they you know, it's like they just oh he's my guy. He says all these great things about my state or gal or whatever, and oh he's bringing these you know new business here, and he's doing all these great things. Go look at their voting record. Exactly. Their voting record is a matter of public record, other than these, these interesting little cases where they have these big votes on these, these secret things, and they don't take, take a roll call. It's, it, 
it, it's a lot of self-aggrandization when they do that. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. They say, oh, look what I did over here when, okay, what? what, what? I mean, that was easy. I mean, that would have happened anyway. You know, they, that's kind of how they count yep. themselves. But on, in, uh, on the back end, you know, they're knifing you in the back. And that's, yeah, you're right. That's what people need to understand. I just brought up Susan Collins, I think, last week. I brought up a House of Representatives Republican from, like, the Syracuse area who is turning and going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Here's another headline, Nanya. 50 GOP officials. Uh, what to say? That's the subheadline. Trump would be most reckless president in American history. And so I don't know if you heard about this list of 50 GOP officials that have come out now. And these are yeah, yeah, prominent. Yeah, that's what I was referring to. That I don't, you know, I don't care if everybody in the House and Senate comes out against them. Or at least right. Right, and because see, and to me, that's encouraging. Right. To me, it's encouraging. I want these people to yep. do this because I think, because at the end of the day, I I don't want to believe that the American people or that my neighbor is a retard, okay, and is an idiot. I would like them no. to be able to have the eyes that see and ears that hear and see what's going on and listen to what's going on. And so when they do things like this, when these 50 GOP officials, when Susan Collins... A, a prominent senator, now whether or not she's a dirtbag or not doesn't matter, she's a prominent Republican senator. I want the people in Maine to see what she's doing. And I would like for them to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here, Miss Collins, whoa. I think is that, is, yeah, is that, that kind, old, of, kind of what thing, you're kind yeah. of saying as well, is that you would like to have more people say that. Say, hey, man, what are, what are you doing yeah. here, man? That's not why I elected you. What are you doing? Right. But see... Well, you know, I, I, the people don't pay attention, right? They just take the talking points. It's, it's, it actually takes work to dig in and see what your, what your Congress critter is up to. It and does. People don't do it. They don't take that next step, you know. The information is available. And there's it all is. kinds of uh, groups that are like uh, congressional watchdogs that give uh, Congress people, you know, report cards on their voting. It, it, you know? And you're right. And, uh, but on the other hand, and I've said this, too, on the other hand, I don't think, as American people, as citizens, I don't think we should have to be that involved. We are a representative republic. We, we, should, we should fully trust and count on the, on the person that we elected to go there and do what they said. We shouldn't have to pay attention to every little detail. But I know how that can turn out, and unfortunately it's turned out bad, because we haven't just right. not been paying attention lately. I mean, would you agree with that? We haven't been paying attention as a whole for probably at least 100 years. At least 100 years. And that's a problem. So I think that maybe is, is kind of what you're saying, and I agree with you. Before the Internet, we didn't really, you know, and even early people that were on the Internet only started getting it like the 90s. Um, prior to the Internet, we had ABC, CBS, NBC, yeah. TBS. That was it. And they were all getting the same talking points from the government. Yep. So, you know, they've been the, they've been the, uh, what do they call it? The, not the, the, I don't know, they got some word they call it the fifth branch or the, something like well, that. Well, they've been gatekeepers for the sure. Yeah. Of the, of, the, of, the, of the politicians. Right. Right. They're their lap dogs. Right. Know? Yeah. Things, yes. things, things are, things are bad, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a, a prediction. I mean, I know what I would like to see happen, and what I would like to see happen is a bit more extreme than most people. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am a, I'm an open proponent, okay, of armed revolution. I just am. I, I don't think there's any way out. I don't think there's any way left out. I think that we need to get our rifles 
and we need to start this thing. That's just how I feel, and I say that in the most sincere way. We can't do that. can't do that. That's illegal. It's not convenient. <laughs> well, but see, it's not illegal. I mean, it I mean, is in, it's in our founding documents. I mean, we do have a right. It is within our right to change our government. Right? I'm sorry, say that again? We're the same laws we don't follow, right? We right. don't follow the laws, but they make the law against against that, even though, the, like you said, the founding fathers kind of mentioned that that might be necessary from time to time. Well, it might be necessary. And I think, I mean, I don't, look, I don't think there's any argument. I don't think anyone could argue that we've, we've kind of reached a point. Things are really bad right now. I mean, would you, would you disagree yeah. with that? That no, just how bad things are, how oppressive too. government is? I mean, it is most basic local function. How just look at listen to the last show, American Independence Hour. Those are the kinds of things that are happening to just everyday people out there, and they get railroaded. And right. this woman even said she's been left. What was it? Indigent or how's that? What's the term? Uh, she she can't get a job and and she has no money. That's government that has done that to someone. And it doesn't matter if yep. you're. Well, it certainly doesn't matter if you're uh, guilty because they're going to do it. But it's worse when they do it when you're innocent. And we're all being assaulted. Would you disagree with that, or that we're not being assaulted no, just about every day? No, I don't at but, all. Yeah. No, and that's just that's right. not I mean, right. Just the, the whole thing. I, you know, I started watching Bush's second term. They just started like, yeah, in your face, American people. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit, right? Occasionally. Now it's like, yeah, we just sent four hundred billion dollars to Iran uh, in uh, unmarked planes uh, with foreign currency, uh, but it had nothing to do with releasing the hostages. Right. I mean, they just <laughs> right. Lie, and right I just face. was just born last night. You know? Exactly. Exactly. No. Look, you know, just kind of getting back to these and this because, uh, look, I think this is a good thing, really, with the Susan Collins. And again, the, 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 the Republican House of Representative guy from New York and then these 50 GOP officials. Pat Buchanan came out with a great article. I don't have it in front of me. You can you can look at it. Of course, these people yeah, are against that. Donald Trump. And like you said, because he's against what they're against. And they see their ivory tower, towers, if you will. They see at least the foundation starting to get a little soft, okay? And they see some wobbleization kind of going on. And they're scared. They don't know what to do. And so they come out and they start attacking him. And what sense does it make for any Republican? Jason, let me ask you this. What sense does it make for any Republican? Like Meg Whitman came out. She claims to be this prominent Republican. She ran for governor of California as a Republican. What, what sense does it make for her to flip just like that and say she's going to vote for Hillary Clinton? That, isn't that a bit extreme? Isn't that a no, bit extreme? Doesn't that kind of indicate some kind of a, a, a mental deficiency? Like, whoa, man, that's, that's kind of extreme to, to just say it you're going to vote for Hillary. She's a fraud. It means exactly. Fraud. And it means they're scared. She's, she's and, a rhino. And, yeah. You know, and so is anybody else who does that. Exactly. I'm not, these, I'm not one of these tribal, uh, you know, tribal Republicans. Okay, I tend to be, you know, fiscally conservative and maybe socially a little more in the center. Right? I'm not really. A, I'm not a libertarian. I'm not a Republican. I'm not. I'm not into this tribalism. You can that, think you know, for yourself. In other words, are dead. You know, democracy are dead. You know, Democrats are dead. You know, that, that's right, no. right, right, and, right. You know, so. I could understand if we had, let's put it this way, if Hillary was the, the Republican candidate, I would not vote for her. Period. <laughs> Hell no. I don't care what party she was running on. I don't care, <laughs> you know, 
Hell no. Why would I vote for? Well, that's very telling. Now that that really is you 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 now you you you're seem like a smart guy. That's very telling. That kind of I think proves my point that she doesn't have a big following. I just kind of getting back to you know what I talked about at the beginning of my show and maybe the beginning of the of the phone call here. That's very telling. You're a smart guy. You wouldn't vote for her no matter what party she's in. So I can't imagine. No, and I, I didn't right mean now, to. Even even if it wasn't for her, you know, having her record of being a corrupt and criminal, uh, I wouldn't vote for her just on her physical uh, suitability. Falling down, falling exactly. downstairs. Getting, oh, yeah. Getting exactly. in a trance and having some big black guy run up to find her and put his hand on her shoulder and say, it's okay. Right, right. She's, She's a pathetic, and I don't mean that in a sympathetic way because I have nothing but contempt. Right. You know, if I, if I liked everything she stood for, with what I've seen in her physical condition, I would not vote for her. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Like and to, to me, that's very it. telling. So she's got two strikes against her. Besides that, she's a uh, unconvicted uh, criminal. I'm pretty sure. You know, in my yeah. And, and look, and, and look, I know people say that, and you just said it, and I've said it, and you know, and I, I claim to just be a truck driver, and I mean, you are just what you are. But we're not, we're not, you know, we're not irrational people. Uh, oh, she, that she is that. I mean. Like I said, she has a 40-year track record, and people know it, and this is what astonishes, not just me, but it sounds like you, and I've heard Frank and Al and different people say, I can't understand why this woman isn't at least, at least out of public life. I mean, yeah, she belongs to me, swinging from a rope or in prison, but it just at least, just go, Hillary, just go away. She's a sociopath, though. She, ha- she is a mentally unstable person to say that she's deranged. Uh, I think I'm not far off. I, I you know, well, I, uh, you know, I, I looking at most of the vice president picks, you know, I'm looking at Trump's VP pick and I'm saying, okay, this guy is voted for the TPP. He's been, he's been kind of a globalist. Historically. It, it was a disappointment. I'll, I'll give you that. Right? He's the governor, right? They didn't vote for it, but I guess he kind of endorsed it. So, you know, some of his things I don't like because it seems like it flies right in the face of some of the things I like about Trump. Absolutely. But, um, and and it was a disappointment. You look at their VP picks, and they aren't planning on uh, doing something to Trump or Hillary dropping dead because of her health issues and having those guys just step right in. I would, I would be surprised if that isn't in the cards. And, you know, it takes a lot of it takes a lot to kind of project that type of scenario. I mean, it takes courage, really, because you're going to be called a kook. But you know what? I don't disagree with you, it, especially with, with oh, Hillary yeah. Clinton's pick. That guy, he's in a stat. He is a he is a prominent. He is a well-established and well-versed establishment candidate globalist. He just is. And he's a bad he's not. He's just a bad Open guy for the America. Yeah. OK. Simple as that. I don't think Mike Pence necessarily is as bad a guy, at least for America. But at the end of the day, if you're not for America completely or the United States 100%, then, you know, I have no use for you. And so, yeah, it was a disappointment for Trump to pick Pence. I don't know why he had to do that. He didn't win the nomination. He's not the worst person he could have picked, but I think it was a disappointment. You know, Pence reminds me of. You know, initially when he said that, I'm like, I'm not voting for him. You know, then I thought about it a little more. But, you know, uh, you know, I think Pence is probably more one of the, the traditional, you know, globalist hawk, uh, you know, maybe a Reaganite type 
conservative, you know, maybe a little Zionistic, you know. Oh, I got no use for, well, it's about all, yeah, that's a triple whammy for me because I despise Zionism. I don't like hawks. Uh, I do like the birds and, and so forth. But, uh, you know, the Republican-type hawks have what, have what, are what have got us in the most trouble in the last about 50 years. Sure. Okay. Let, make no mistake, it's been Republicans that have been, it's been both Bush, Bush administrations, Reagan as well, that have gone out there and, and wanted to, to, to have these empires. Read Pat Buchanan's yeah, latest article. Uh, uh, yeah, which we have no constitutional uh, authorization to do. You don't go in and, 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 and set up an uprising or topple somebody and tell them they're an evil dictator. That's up to the people of that country. To, to no, and, and we don't, like you know, our, and, and we don't, well, on, and you're right, and we don't, you know, uh, accuse Russia of being that when they have been done nothing of the sort. And it's been us that have done that, have been the aggressor. We're the ones that went in and overthrew duly elected uh, governments in, in some of those uh, former Eastern European or Soviet satellites and then brought them into NATO. What do you, right. I mean, look at some of the countries that have been brought into NATO. I mean, how do you think Russia's going to feel about that? Anyway. Yeah, they're surrounded. They're surrounded. How, how did we feel right. when we set up a missile base in Cuba? You know, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> right. There you go. Well, anyway, uh, Nanya, I appreciate yeah, you calling like in. Some countries surrounded them. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I do see we're at the end of the show, though. I want to go ahead and uh, cut you loose, and I want to thank you for calling in. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you for the support, and, and do call back. So. Will do. Good talking okay. to you, Dave. Good talking to you as well. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show this evening. God bless each and every one of you for listening. Two things. Be all that you can be and become a domestic terrorist because freedom comes from the source. See you next week, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere 
with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Worried about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.